Hey, what's good, what's good, what's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the role podcast presented by DJ City and Beat Source. I'm one of your hosts, DJ Crooked. We got DJ Never. Yo, yo, what up? We got Jamie the Great. Yeah. And we got, oh man, one of the illest roundtables, <laughs> you know, that we've had in a minute. This is going to be a great episode. I'm just letting y'all know. We have three very important motherfuckers in music, DJ, nightlife here in Vegas. They're probably the, the three biggest ambassadors of hip hop in this city. Mm-hmm. Um, from the very beginning to where hip-hop is today in Las Vegas, these three had a major impact in the city. They're very, very important. So, you know, I want to introduce them one by one. You know, I, I might call him the mayor of Las Vegas, you know, the funk flex of Las Vegas. Ooh. Resident DJs at Dre's, Bay Area's finest. We have DJ Franzen in the building. What's good? It's, it's an honor to be around. And I don't use this word lightly. You guys are all legends, so mm. I'm, I'm blessed to be here. Definitely. I mean, we're not no Drake songs, but yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and he just got subpoenaed uh, for a case with the Cardi B microphone throwing. Yes. Oh incident, so we'll talk about We'll that. talk about that. Yeah. Bob, <laughs> Bob and Weave over here. Breaking news. Breaking news. <laughs> and this, the second guest, one of my favorites, founder of The Source Magazine. He's responsible for bringing DJs like Mark Ronson, AM. He's had a hand in nightlife at the win. Very important dude. I, I, I love it when he's on the podcast. We have Shecky Green in the building. Good, Sheck. Pleasure to be here as well. Yes, Thank sir. You. And actually, the one responsible for initiating this conversation, this, this, this whole conversation, this episode. Yeah. I give well, it to you, Shecky. I'm know? not really responsible. Somebody else <laughs> is responsible. But, <laughs> yeah. 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 But, 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 you know, actually, Crooked and I had a nice chat. I'm sure we'll get into it. We'll get that's into what, it. That's what led to this. Mm-hmm. And this next person. He's one of, to me, one of the most important figures here in Vegas for hip hop. Facts. You know, from the early 90s, DJing at the Suge Knight Club, 662, you know, getting his, his record, you know, broken in half by Tupac himself. Yes. You know, uh, he's, you know, he's one of the first DJs when I came to Vegas in the early 2000s, maybe even late 90s, that I heard DJing and mixing house and hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the resident at these big-ass, big-room clubs from Raw to XS. He's one of the founders of a very important record shop here. This hip-hop site. It was the premier record shop for hip-hop and club music for all the DJs in the city. In Las Vegas. I mean, this dude has so much bones. He has so much of his hands in the dirt mm-hmm. in the city of, you know, pushing the, the culture forward for hip-hop. And you guys should all know his name. He's a very important person. DJ Warren Peace in the Woo! building. The man. What up, what up, what up? So this is, this is the coalition for this episode, which is really, we're going to get down to the nitty gritty on the history of hip hop in Las Vegas, especially nightlife in Las Vegas. We want to talk about this. And this, this episode was initiated from a recent guest that we had on, uh, it was Clint Sparks. And he was making these claims and, you know, throughout the show, he was making all these claims. One of the biggest claims that kind of like really... Rub, yeah, like rub people the wrong way. He had a lot of claims, you know, but <laughs> he was claiming that he was the first to bring hip hop to Las Vegas. And I'm going to play the clip for you because War and Peace. You, I, you, no, I know people hit me up, but I never saw it. In the late 2000s, you were on the <clears throat> E Entertainment Channel, right? That's how I became the first resident DJ in Vegas to be on billboards in the back of taxis. That's how hip hop came to Vegas because of Clint Sparks. Uh, <laughs> AM was the first hip hop DJ to get a million dollar contract. 100%. AM paved the way for people like me. Right. AM was mashing up 
but not a straight hip hop DJ. But there were straight hip hop parties, like you know Shecky Green. Yep. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying no one ever played a hip hop record, yep. but no one's ever in here like even though what we do is wrong. Like Dipset sets and Rockefeller sets, Asher Raw, Tony Braxton, Tyrese, Neo, and wow. Paris Hilton on stage with me at the same time. I mean, we were doing. We were doing. doing <laughs> How about this? Nobody. F no, when I say that, I don't want you to be offended. I know you guys are playing hip hop here, so when I say that, I don't mean like no one's ever touched a hip hop record. Oh no, no, I'm, I'm telling you, we're not offended, but we know some motherfuckers that will be offended. That was great. That's a clip. That's one of the many claims he was saying. I mean, he uh -huh. said a bunch of stuff from he was the first to put sound effects, you know, on the radio. He was the first to have uh, name drops on um, production. You know, production on records on records uh, there was so many claims that he was saying but you know that was probably the most boldest and outlandish you know statement that he made and obviously about a day or so later um, you know Shecky texts me I mean Francis we were talking for a little bit too yeah uh, but Shecky hit me and he you know he was <laughs> you were like actually really livid when you heard this <laughs> shit right <laughs> I mean, I, I would say that it, it was just strange that somebody like that, because I know Clinton and I've known him for a long time and uh, he's done a lot of good shit. I mean, he's not like a, he's contributed to hip hop. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But he was making statements that were just on the surface, just false and ridiculous. And it was just, uh, I knew that the first people I thought of were these two guys because I knew the, that the place had, the city has a long history of hip hop, especially with Warren being here for so long. Mm -hmm. And... You know, and then I thought about, you played that little clip about AM, but that's the part that really made me the most offended because that's actually a little bit separate in the conversation. Like he goes right. on a big rant about how he's the guy that brought hip hop to Vegas, whatever, however you want to define what, what that is. He was the first guy on billboards. He was claiming all this stuff, but actually when it came to that kind of a, a plateau, it was actually AM that did all those things. It wasn't him. And anytime AM obviously is not around, to defend himself, there, it, it really, that's the part that offended me the most because I wanted to step up for him. And, and, and as we were chatting about it, it turns out that the best way to do it, I think, is to tell the whole story of yeah. how hip hop really started in Vegas and how, especially hip hop DJs, and the broadest definition of what that means from the, the locals in the beginning mm -hmm. to bringing you know, more prominent people over, over a period of years. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, and, and among these other guys, I was lucky to be around for some of that early stuff. Yeah. I mean, when, when we were talking, we were, you know, Shecky was kind of executive producing the episode a bit and we were <laughs> like, yo, Shecky, come on. And he's like, well, if I come on, you know, Warren's got to come on. And they were like, well, we got to have friends in on. And we're like, yo, let's try to get all three of these motherfuckers on and really talk about, the different eras, right? And the stages of hip hop yeah. evolving and impacting the city to where it is like right now. Like, you know, like people just like in the past 10 years, people come to Vegas and they think Dre's just existed forever. Mm -hmm. Like there was a presence of hip hop in the city like Dre's and it's really kind of, it's really definitely not the case. No. Uh, but I, I want to talk about when this clip came out, when this episode came out with Clint Sparks, the reaction, the comments on that clip were just, uh, there, there was a couple of things. Everyone was, everyone was insulted. Mm -hmm. Every oh, yeah. DJ from every city was insulted. But what was kind of fascinating was everyone had a different history. So everyone was saying like, war and peace. Now y'all gotta, gotta talk about war and peace. A lot of people were saying, nah, Franzen. You know, and then people were mentioning AM. Yes. And then, you know, there was, everyone was saying something, but it was kind of like no one really knows the full story. Exactly. 
And I think with Vegas being kind of like, I don't know, with, with hip hop in Vegas and with Dre's is and with all the performances and the, the rappers and coming into the city and the city being what it is now, I thought, and you know, Shecky and I thought it was important that we kind of set the record straight especially after this Clinton Sparks episode. Because, I, you know, I, I believe Clinton Sparks hit probably each one of y'all and apologized in some way, you know, no. behind the scenes. He didn't apologize to no. you. No. no, he didn't DM you, but no, no. I'm sure he was DMing you guys. I mean, there was a bunch of DJs. I think E-Rock initiated the, the episode for us. He's like, you know, E-Rock. Yeah. And he was even, he was tight. He was, oh, he was livid. He was livid. E-Rock was like, yo, Crook, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, this shit happened. I'm like, yo, like, you know. He, it is what it is, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say he did reach out to me, but we, I didn't respond mm-hmm. um, because I knew that we were going to have this conversation. I thought it was better to let it out in this right. sense, in this yeah, way. Yeah, Not to start a dialogue prior to this. I wouldn't, I would have been, it wouldn't have felt right. So. Yeah. Warren, I want to talk to you. Uh, let's talk about the climate of Vegas and where hip-hop stood when you were kind of coming up. And, mm-hmm. and this is probably in the early 90s. 87, 88. 80, late 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, let's let's start. Um so let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. So uh, the one thing I I gotta give props to is before me there was Frankie and Rob. You had Frankie Rob and DJ Twin. Uh our uh Rory Mack was from Chicago. He brought mm-hmm. stuff out here. This is like like the breakdancing craze days mm-hmm. there. So um, I got to give props to them because before me, it was those guys. Those guys were here. Frankie, R.O.B. was at Palms. Right. DJ Frankie. I'm sure you guys in Vegas have heard that name. He's, you know, he's been around yeah. for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Rory Mack went, ran the record pool here. He was a big influence from the East Coast that came out here. Um, there were a few others. Twin, the twins were there. So before me, it was them. So I came here like in high school, senior year in high school, I came here. And those guys were all over the radio. So I started following those guys where they were going. And then um, jumped to college. I jumped on KUNV and I was doing all the alternative. I was assistant music director, which was awesome because I got every free record. That's when I realized why everyone was at the fuck on radio. I was like, oh, you get free records. Oh, facts. <laughs> this is why. I'm like, so, and, I, and being on a college radio station and no one having a hip hop show, I got all the hip hop. And um, they had no place to put it. And if they wanted another copy, I would just call the rep and get another copy. But I also got all of the alternative. So my, my brain was just like exploding because I had to go through every alternative record and mark all the cuss words. So I got to listen to every alternative. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So every alternative record, everyone from, you know, Ministry, Skinny Puppy, R.E.M., Lenny Kravitz was new then. Wow. Like, so I was marking up all those records and keeping all the hip hop records. So they gave me a hip hop show there and I started that hip hop show probably in 89. I want to say 89, maybe 88. I, I don't, I'm not good with years. Uh, Wrath of My Madness was big. That was 88. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know years, I know songs. One of the best 12 inches of all time. Yeah, Rath and Madness. Yeah, we had a test. <laughs> pause, <laughs> pause, pause. <laughs> oh, that's a pause. He said one of the best 12 inches of all time. <laughs> He's going to like look at like. But yeah, so I mean, um, yeah, so that started. Um, and then I was, um, I was at doing the, the college radio station and the hip hop show. And then this promoter from Africa came in town and he wanted to do hip hop downtown. There was a place downtown called uh, Fremont Reggae and Blues. It's where Neonopolis is now. And uh, that was like a shop. So that was like stores. And this was this long ass like rectangle. And one side was blues and one side was reggae. 
Mm. And on a Sunday, this promoter came in and said, he found me on the radio station, said, I want you to spin this hip hop club. I want to be hip hop. I'm like, okay. There was nothing. There was nothing in town. So I would just be on the radio. They'll come this Sunday, come this Sunday, check us out. So I was playing like uh, Farside was big. Mm. It was like about six months before Farside. That was early 90s. 91, yeah, yeah, yeah. Early, yeah. 91 92. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Farside was big. Was uh, like Passing Me By? Yes. It was pre, yeah. a little bit pre uh, past, uh, Mary J. Blige. Your mama, right? Yeah. Your yeah. Mama, Mary J. Blige mama. had a little right. uh, Puffy was coming up. This is the Puffy era. And I remember before I did that, I had just gone to uh, New York and I talked to Bobito and Stretch. I actually wow. hung out with them for a while because uh, of radio. Cause, yeah. you know, purely because of radio. Like Bobby was re- working at Def Jam. So, you know. Um, but those guys were cool as shit. I, they, they weren't like Bobby and Stretch then. They were just two cool kids, you know, that, you know, had a radio show and we had a radio show. So um, I basically, uh, I remember talking to Stretch and Stretch was like, Yo, you got to play like Mary J. Blige. You got to play stuff with women. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, I go, you guys play stuff? He goes, yeah, we don't play all hip hop. We play like stuff for the girls. He said, you don't want a bunch of dudes. And this is the Puffy era. Mm-hmm. So I was like, mm-hmm. I didn't realize until later what he was. But so when I started doing that club, I was like, all right, let me slip in some R&B joints. Mm-hmm. Because I never did. I was pure hip hop, you know, right. college radio, like, rah, 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 rah. The more dudes, the merrier, you know, everyone come in with a backpack, that whole shit. <laughs> so when he told me that, I was like, all right, cool. So I started playing like a little bit more Mary J. Blige. So we had a really good like club. So that lasted for maybe six months to a year. I can't remember how long. What was the name of that party? You remember? Uh, no. Wow. No. But it, that was, a, I mean, we had Soldier Mystery down there. They performed. Uh, he brought in Curtis Blow. He performed. He brought in a couple other dudes. I got Jeez. really... I got, re- yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually DJ for Curtis Blow. Like he didn't have a, he didn't have, he just gave me records and, and play. So I started DJing for him. I think I did two, I did one here and one someplace else he wanted me to do for him. But anyway, if you really want to talk about the first, like second level, I, I would say the first level is Frankie and Rob. Frankie and Rob had a club. They used to do a live remote on 88.1 and they had a club over by Circus Circus. By Circus Circus, there was this little tiny hut where they have the, they used to have the bungee cord shit. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right over there was a little tiny like how, and that was like quote unquote the black club. Mm. And and Frankie and Rob, Frankie was there, and I think even before that he was playing old disco because Frankie was from New York, so he's playing old disco and he had a lot. He has a lot of pictures of, like celebrities in there, and then slowly it just went more hip hop like everything else did. So that was like a quote unquote hip hop club. So when did like the like Utopia right? Because a lot of most, so like, you, you, utopia. The thing about people don't realize the utopia yeah. is, and and I, I, actually, it's like the biggest difference between what happened in my era and what happened in Franz's era. But the biggest difference in utopia was that was only during fight parties. Mm. It was a it was a oh. very house oriented club. Yeah, it was a heavy, house club. But when club. but when a fight came in town, yeah, every dude because all the promote see Vegas was slow on this. All the promoters from out of town. I remember this guy from uh, from New York and New Jersey. He'd hit me up, say, hey, we're coming in town, we're bringing Kid Capri or Flex. Right. It was Kid Capri or Flex. So it was always outside promoters coming in. Always. Renting the spot always. Every now and then they'd hit me up and go, is there a new spot? And then right. they'd, they'd okay, Lexus Park. But yeah. okay. these guys would fly in. They'd fly in months before, scout it out. 
maybe hit me up, maybe ask them to like for my input. Right. But they knew what the hell was going on. Like it, mm-hmm. it was it was really cool to see them work because they would just walk in and they knew exactly what the hell to do. They knew exactly what going on, mm-hmm. and they would say, "Yeah, we want you to open. You know, we'll pay you this much. Blah 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 blah. Like this is gonna be big." And they they knew to like kind of talk to you. You were kind of like they kind of knew I was the point person, right. like to kind of tell them what was going on, simply because of radio, because there was nothing out here. Like mm-hmm. hip hop was a bad word. Like there was nothing. It's been a bad word for a long time. It was a bad word moving forward. Even when, I'll jump forward a little bit. Even when Dre's open, it was a bad word. Mm -hmm. And I remember, well, I'll I'll talk about that later. But anyway, um, so Utopia, that was, uh, you guys remember the All-Star Cafe? No. Mm -hmm. When Holyfield bit off, uh, when Tyson bit Holyfield's uh, ear, (laughs) one of the best after fight parties ever was at the All-Star Cafe on the Strip. Wow. And that was with me and Kid Capri. Mm. Really? That, that was, the best yeah. part about that was, Kid Capri was late, so they're like, Warren, you gotta go. Mm. <laughs> so I got to play, like, nice. shit. You know, usually if you say, oh, I'm opening for Kid Capri, like, you're playing wedding music. Was this know? the vinyl era still? Yes. Because Kid Capri is known for carrying like 15 plus crates of well, vinyl. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like an insane so, amount of vinyl. So, so I, I would copy everything those motherfuckers did. Everything Flex did, everything Kid Capri. I'm, Kid Capri brought like 15 some odd crates, so I started bringing like five or six. Then, you know, Flex would come in and start doing Flex things. I'm like, okay, I need to do that. You know, uh, Clue would come in and I'd be like, okay, there's nothing I need to take from you. (laughs) 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 Clue came in. So it was, uh, I I bet you Franzen was there. I don't don't want to take up too much time, but Franzen was, uh, I bet you Franzen, there was, uh, how can I be down in Miami? And they were giving Mm. out um, Mm. all about the Benjamins promos. Were you around for that? Mm -hmm. They were giving out. So you would, you would be, dude, you'd be on on the corner in Miami and all of a sudden you hear in the background, ding, ding. And it get closer and closer. We're like, what the hell is that sound? And you'd hear it the whole fucking conference. And they just passed passing out records. So I had like four copies of this. Wow. It was a week after Clue was DJing, and I had the crowd going. Clue didn't have that whole thing. It was Clue. Clue, you could still play joints. Kick Capri and Flex, you couldn't. Right. Clue, you could play joints. So I started, and I played Benjamins. And Clue grabbed the mic and was like, "Yo, this is DJ Clue." Blah blah blah. Stopping the record, the whole like he claimed it was him. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, I know what you're doing." You know, I know what you're doing. And the, the fucked up thing is I had brought all four records and I was going to give him one because mm-hmm. I knew not that many people had this fucking but, record. But no Benjamins for Clue. No, no. Nah. After you pulled that <laughs> shit, I was like, no. <laughs> After you pulled that, I was like, no, nah, I'm good. But yeah, so anyway. Um, so wait, what year was this? The Utopia era, right? This The uh, All-Star Cafe, Utopia, and okay. it was all outside promoters. Because I remember we had Bill Spector on and he was telling me that he would go. He was from a big promoter in New York, and he was like, "Yeah, we would go to Vegas, Miami during the holiday weekends, and we would set up, and we would have all these clubs, and we would we would uh, well, come through." There were only like two like black promoters, like mm. hip hop promoters. Like I I know there are other parties going on, but I never really got roped into those. I was uh, got- was Larry Lair one of them? Larry. So Larry did other things, or Larry would so. When I was coming up, it was like me and Larry. Me and Larry Lair were at the radio station at the same time, actually, around KUMV. And I got in KUMV, Larry didn't. But I think Larry's playing basketball. I can't remember Larry's full story. But me and Larry Larry, like, like it, it's back in those days, we were like neck and neck. Like, he had the bad boy account. I had the death row account. Like, I had the Interscope account. He had the, I think, Arista account. Like, he, mm. like, it, like mm-hmm. we were all, but we were still cool. I mean, right. I had a couple beef with his, like, some of his, his people and his crew. But me and Larry were always cool. Because I was like, you know, he was doing his thing, I was doing mine. But I, 
DJ wise, I was always a little bit more up here than Dar- than Larry because Larry was more the promoter business right. type. But um, yeah, props to Larry. But me and Larry are like. Uh, and that's probably something you guys should. I, I just bumped in another day too. That's oh, really? probably something you should, somebody you should bring on because yeah. he can tell the other story that that uh, he knows the other half really good. Oh, but um, yeah. So when dude, when fight parties were here, that's what everyone was talking about. Mm-hmm. Even the Suge Knight stuff. That was a fight party. All that yeah. stuff was fight party. The, so the Suge Knight club. The yeah. So two. so was there was no real hip hop clubs like. You just when there was a fight weekend, you knew there was going to be a party. Right, right. And and if you got lucky, like the one at All Star Calf, dude, everybody, every NBA player, every fitness model, every remember the Black Twins are on ESPN. They did fit, fitness back in the day. Mm-hmm. They were there. That and I was like, oh <laughs> shit, this, this I, dude, every every uh, every uh, uh, video girl was there. Like so, every, that was the party. So this is during like the mid nineties, like early to mid nineties. Hypnotize, I think it. Just came out so maybe 97. maybe a year around that of uh, six months maybe ninety five ninety six right yeah just to look when Holy, when when Holyfield right? got his that ear was, bit off that was ninety seven ninety seven yeah, when, when Holyfield's yeah, hypnotized, ear hypnotized definitely came out okay, okay, okay yeah Hifl- so it was it was uh, holy just think Holyfield's ear whenever that was bit off <laughs> well, that was there, there was three Holyfield Tyson's the one was in ninety six the November. one he bit his ear because I remember everyone was talking about that the yeah. thir- which was in ninety seven when he bit yeah. his ear off and then when did you start like headlining at Raw. Okay, so the raw story is, so I was doing all the fight parties, and I knew this guy, Dwayne King, and he was around when I was doing uh, Utopia, and he was like the music director, the house guy at Utopia, Mm -hmm. and he called me on a Tuesday, I'll never forget, he called me on a Tuesday and Wednesday, I can still see the big ass uh, cordless phone I picked up. And he called me and he's like, hey, Warren, what's up? This is Dwayne King. Hey, what's up, Dwayne? I haven't talked to you, man. Blah, 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 blah. He said, yeah, we want to do hip hop every Thursday at the strip. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck out of here. Hung up. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I hung up on it. I mean, dude, it was that. When someone said they wanted to do hip hop on the strip, right. that was such a bad word yeah. that I was like, yeah, you're, you're fucking, you're, you're crazy. What year was that? Mm. What song was hot? Was it before? I'm thinking that right now. <laughs> I think it was just before the Dre. Dre era. This yeah. was uh this was uh next episode uh, uh Chronic 2000. Chronic. Like, chronic. That's like 99. So that's it's chronic. No, it was yeah. the chronic. It's before the Chronic album. So that's 90. 98. It was before. The, yeah, yeah. It was before the chronic. Oh, before the chronic. It was before like 97, 98. I would say. Oh wow. So he called me and I dude I hung up on him because I dude I I'd been known as the hip hop guy. I'd been doing this forever and I knew never touch the strip just yeah. unless it's a fight weekend don't touch the strip and just as clarity for our listeners like all, all-star cafe that you're speaking of yeah, what was uh, that utopia at? this was kind of off the strip no right, all-star right? cafe was where they're standalone places on the strip but they're not in a casino okay. yeah. yeah that's the Got difference it. this yeah. was they're where standalone um, places friends and what's there now um, Empire, like Empire Ballroom was Utopia, right? No, you know the Eminem world is Eminem. Yeah, right, 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 right. right kind of like yeah. between MGM and mm-hmm. where the yeah. movie theaters, where that at. Hawaiian yes. thing was. Where yeah, the, yeah, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. So right there, that's where All Star Cafe was. But there was another one called the Dive. That's where I, I met. That's why I DJ with. Kid Capri again and Jay-Z and a whole bunch of people showed up. That was another fight party. That was at, uh, it was a dive. The beach? No, it was at a a fashion show. Fashion Show Mall had this place called The Dive, which I think was Steven Spielberg's uh, uh, really? Because remember, crazy. remember when every remember when everyone had their own like cafe? Shaq was all star cafe. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After Hard Rock, everyone but tried. To everyone copy. tried yeah. to copy the yeah. same. Yeah. 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 Well, I think Spielberg had the dive. Spielberg and some of the and, and so yeah. So again, the same fucking promoters would come in town and they'd scope out the place. And we found this place. Where was Utopia? At? 
Utopia was it's still next there. to MGM. Fat Burger. Oh, right yeah, we're Fat Burger. It's a Walgreens now. Yeah, right. Behind. Oh, near Walgreens. It's near where that Walgreens. Yeah. Is. Oh, yeah. yeah. We we had a, so I, before then we had a really good run at I think right after downtown we had a really good run at Utopia on a Friday. We would do Utopia on a Friday and we would be in a small room and they'd have house in the big room. Mm. And I remember getting a bunch of East Coast people coming because they knew what the hell was going on. And it was like the only club in Vegas. Right. I, and then when did you when did you do six six two for Shig Night and all that? Fight parties. I only did it twice, dude. It, the club was only open three times. People like to think this club was open. Oh shit! Yeah, it the has club, such a legacy for only being open. Like, yeah, yeah. The club, dude. The club was only open like three times. Yeah. And, and I, I spun all three in its times. existence. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I thought it was like yeah, a weekly. Shit. No, 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 dude. He didn't. Like it was like every week. Wow. No, no, dude. He didn't. He didn't have the. He flew in one time and he met with me, Rory, and two other dudes. I don't know who they were. And I remember he was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Sugar was like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And I said, yeah, you shouldn't do that. I said, it should be blues. It should be jazz. You need to mix it up. And I remember everyone looked at me like, what the fuck? It's Sugar Knight. Yeah. You and I'm like, he asked me a question. I remember saying, he asked me a question. I told him to answer. Right. And I, did, I left it that. Because I never really, I honestly didn't learn about like pecking order and, and like, corporate etiquette until I met Sheck. I've never told, told, no, told Sheck that, but I remember talking to Sheck's office and he was talk, telling me how he was doing something. I was like, fuck, I should do that more. Anyway, yeah, so, so when, if some, back in those days, if someone asked me a question, I even have a, um, I don't know if you were there, but Steve Wynn brought everyone into his office one time and talked about how loud the music was. And everyone was sitting there and Steve Wynn's asking questions and it's, I'm ask, ask, answering the questions because everyone else is too chicken shit to say. You were the only thing. one that has, was able to speak. Yes, everyone yeah, everyone else, else everyone else yeah, is silent. I remember that. I wasn't there, but I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I heard it, actually. <laughs> yeah, so you heard it, yeah. yeah. I heard the tape, yes. Yeah, so. I've heard a lot about There those. was a secret tape. I've heard a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually, I actually, like every major, every major, uh, uh, conversation I ever have, I always record. So I have that one recorded. Really? Yeah, I have that recorded. But it, so it was basically, honestly, 80% of it was me and Steve one talking. Wow. Mm. I remember you called me up one time because I think when the wind was opening excess, they were, they were discussing what DJs they should get. And he called me up and he was like, yo, I'm just letting you know there's a couple of your boys that are in these meetings. And they're talking shit about you, Crook. Like, oh yeah, not yeah, to yeah. Hire you yeah, yeah. So I've heard about these meetings about <laughs> you. So, so um, I don't, I don't know where I was in this, but I don't want talking to Shug Knight. Okay, so yeah, I, don't sorry, wanna, I don't want to monopolize <laughs> the whole conversation. No. But yeah, so talking to Shug Knight, they, uh, they didn't want to do whatever. And then, like the third time I met there, I met with, Sh I didn't meet with Shug. I met with his lawyers, and his lawyers like, you can't say this, you can't do this, you can't say this, you can't. Like they were like. You can't do this. You can't say this. This is a charity event. This is this. This is this. Oh, like on the microphone, you can't. No, no, yeah, I couldn't say things. It was a charity event. You're getting paid by blah 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 blah. You're. I don't know if I got paid, but they were like, <laughs> you know, this is a charity event. Blah blah blah. Like they were just going. And that, in that point, I was like, oh, he must be in some kind of, you know, anytime three or four lawyers come to you and start talking to you, like what you can and can't say, and you know, after that, I was like, okay, he must be in some type of trouble or something with the city mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah the club never opened it was only open three times mm. wow. yeah so what which one of those three times did you have your beef with tupac so okay listen it really, <laughs> honestly honestly it really, there was only two big beefs tupac it, had it was biggie <laughs> and war and peace it, it honestly wasn't a beef i was, was playing i played all the shit the party was about to crack i played total can't you see that was the fucking song i don't give a fuck what everyone that's why you should get larry in because larry has a different i heard larry's version of this i said dude i didn't know any of that um mm -hmm. 
I play Tolo, can't you see? I was rocking the fucking intro. Give me all the chicken. Yes, yes, you know it. You can feel it right now. The dance floor was getting packed. All the girls were like wearing underwear and sheer and like. Gives you great, great visual, right? You see it, right? I Underwear see it. and sheer. So, there, dude, Deion Sanders was there with all his posse women. This was with Neon Deion. Yeah. Prime Show time. Dude, prime time. Prime time. Okay. So, dude, the place was packed. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous women. And place was going crazy. Dance floor went crazy. All of a sudden, here comes Tupac. I didn't even know who the fuck, you know. he did. I just know some guy came in and moved Bob out of the way. And then he came to me and was like, just, you know. Shout Mr. Bob. Yes, it just slightly just kind of moved me out of the way. And I was like, yeah, what, you know, you seem important, okay. You know, I didn't recognize who it was at that point. I was like, mm. well, I guess you seem important. So, and then he took it off. He scratched it. Oh, he took off the one record, wrong record, because I had two records. So he took uh-huh. off the wrong record. And, and he was still, like, he was like, what the fuck? Going. Yeah, it's still, going. It's still playing. <laughs> so then Jokes take, on you, Pac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he takes off the other record. And by then I'm like, oh, this is Tupac. He's like, and then everyone's like, boo, fuck you, nigga, you're whack, blah, 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 blah. Like, everyone started yelling shit at me. And then he grabbed the mic. Fuck, this is West Coast, motherfucker. This West Coast shit, blah, 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 blah. And everyone's like, it was, a, it was like a three-second pause. They're like, oh, that's Tupac. Yeah, nigga, you're right. Yeah, fuck, this is West Coast. <laughs> I was so mad. I was, that was, I was steaming because... Mm. At that point, I, I went through my crates and was like, okay, no Nas, no Jay-Z, no Lauryn Hill. Mm. And I was like, Lauryn Hill? No Lauryn Hill. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I started going through, like, I had to take a big out, like, uh, I take like 80% of my crate and just move it to the back. I was like, I guess I'm not playing this. All right, stuff. so what record did you play? Mm. Uh, when he threw it off, the first record, so everything's in BPMs, right? Yeah. So it was uh, E-40. I want to be safe because it's 84 BPMs. Right? Oh, wow. to save a Because it, it was right there. I'm like, yeah, okay, this is West Coast. Boom, right Did there. the crowd go crazy? They was like, yeah. Uh, you'll was- never hear that. Larry will tell you a different story, but the crowd did not go crazy because the hits were West Coast. This was Puffy's era. I don't give a fuck what you said. This was Puffy's era. Wow. The hits were East Coast. The hits were, everything was yeah. East Coast. East Coast had the whole, you know, it, when you moved to Raw, you got to realize that my old imaging of Club Raw was a, a, a puffy video. Mm-hmm. When I see a party, right. I think puffy mm-hmm. video. I don't think West Coast lowrider. I don't, I think puffy video. Now let's talk about raw because raw is a big fucking. It's one of the like the big club, big room clubs in Vegas that was in Luxor, right? Yeah. And it was like I don't know how many people could fit in there. It was huge. Thousands. Right? It was uh, every, there, there were a couple, maybe a couple thousand. It was every Thursday night. It was every Thursday night. So, so, so Dwayne Queen, Dwayne King called me up and said, "We want to do a hip hop." You hung up on him, right? I hung up on him, <laughs> and he called me back. Said, "Why you hung up on me?" I said, "Dude, I don't have time for this bullshit." Like, and he's like, "No, dude, I'm serious." I said, "Get the fuck out of here." I go, "Who, who is this? Like, how are you gonna do this?" He said, "Well, Billy." I was like, "Who's Billy?" Billy's dad is the VP of Manly Bay. And I was like, oh, okay. You might have some leverage here. All right, let's see what's, all right. So when do you want me to come down? He said, on Thursday. I said, well, let me come on on Saturday and see what's going on. So I brought my five, six crates and I pull up because I don't know what the fuck I'm playing. So I mm-hmm. said, just grab them all, pull, pull up. And I did good. They liked me on a Saturday. So yeah, we want you to come on next. And at the time, what were they playing on the strip in, in, a, in a club? like? So, so the blackest you got, quote unquote, was... Uh, 
um, whatever was in them. You were just coming out of like the, the strike Re- it up. And the Rio was the only other club, really, right? Yeah. The Rio had, uh, what was that terrible club? Studio 54 or something? <laughs> no, no, no. no 54? No, no, that's, that's MGM. MGM. Right? I'm sorry. No, what was the Rio club? That was a really shitty club. Club Rio. Club Rio. Club Rio. It was Club Rio and Luxor. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> and it was, the, the order was Club Rio, Luxor, and then it was uh, Studio 54. Studio that's 54. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. right. Yes. So, so I can't... The, the, you could dip your toe in. You could get away with... I think Return of the Mac was big. Mm. Like that. That was it. Like you had to be like pop black. Like it couldn't pump up be. the jam. Yes. Yeah. 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 You you could <laughs> lean yeah. into about, like strike it up black box. How about and, get, <laughs> finally, you know, yeah. Get, get jiggy with it. Yes. Yeah. So yes. This is get, you could do. You could get away with that. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't. You know. I knew. I by that time I kind of knew how to read the audience. I could play a little of that. But I you know I dipped the other way because that's yeah. just kind of where my where I was. Mm-hmm. And that's what they wanted anyway. So I said fuck it. I'm gonna play this and see what they. You know, yeah. do they really want this? Because yeah. at this point, I was so like, this ain't happening. So then they, yeah, we want to come back Thursday. So I brought in my man, Mr. Bob, and um, me and I, I, I will say this on your podcast in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. No one's beating me and Bob around 99, 2000. No one is beating me. Oh, no, you got to go 0102. Yeah, 0102. Yeah, yeah. No one, no one is beating me and Bob. No one. They, you guys got to realize that club was set up perfect. They had a stage. It was me and Bob. It was pre Serato. Like, I was the first one on Serato out here. I got a story about that, too. Mm-hmm. So, I had, so not only was I on Serato, I had Serato going. I had Bob, I plugged in the monitor. So, Bob has his own monitor. And I brought my own, I brought in another mixer. So Bob could have his own mixer because Bob's a big dude. So Bob could be over there and I'd be over here. And w- what was Bob playing? Bob was just hype. He was, he was, he was pulling it down. Oh, the mic. He was yeah. pulling it down. So he was. He, he was Frank Jugger. Yes. Yeah. But he, he had his Frank own Jugger. mixer and he knew when to follow and he knew when to lead. Mm, okay. That was, he knew like just early. I'm not getting on. So he'd go around, talk to girls, get drinks ready. And then he'd show up. And then when it was prime time, I'm like, Bob, go. And he would just take over and I'd follow him. Wow. But he knew he knew he could look at my monitor and see what I was going. He could see what song was coming out. He could see everything. So that was important. A lot of people don't realize he had his own mixer and monitor. And I did that because it was me and then goes to him and then he could cut me out. Interesting. Wow. And he could and, and he was on the radio. I got him on the radio at KLUC. Mm-hmm. So he knew every word. Wait, of the where song. was he from? Where was Mr. Bob was from here. I met Bob. So I met Bob. At a Costco, and when I flunked out of college, I started working at Costco. And I, I could, and the reason I like Costco, I worked, the, I worked the hot dog cart, and I could make all my calls from the hot dog cart because no one monitored the hot dog cart. <laughs> so I could, be, I could be on conference calls. I could pass out flyers. I could have my guys come pick up posters. I, I could, run, I could run my whole business from the hot dog cart because no one ever checked on me. Wow. Yeah. So I loved it. I was like, this is fucking awesome. So I met him. Bob was outside basically entertaining little kids. Like people would come and take pictures of Bob, like of Mr. Bob. Like I'll never forget this. What do you what do you what mean? He was doing? He was just <laughs> a, he was just the entertain he was just the entertaining big guy. He was like a host? No, yeah. he was he, he you know the Costco the clicker? Yeah. yeah. Never put him on. Oh, he's like the welcome guy. Yes. The greeter. Oh, he would but he would they move him around. So he would have jokes. He would he would he like he'd be like, hey little kid, whatever, and turn around and go, I hate white people. Like just loud. <laughs> Jesus, Bob. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What like, Costco was this? It was Jesus a Costco Christ. in Henderson. So, in, so <laughs> I know. I said, this guy's entertaining. I said, so at, at at downtown, I said, dude, come begin on the mic with me. Mm. So he came, and then a magic show. That's another one we had events. Oh, yeah, here. Man. True, true. When a magic show came out, we had Wu Tang performing. Oh my God, magic, 
The what magic? The magic show was uh, like a, the Clothing. wholesale. Oh, dude, it's a holy grail. Like the, fashion, the fashion industry, the wholesale yeah. retail fashion industry coming into town, and it was yeah. huge. And they always threw parties. And now I'm it's always. the most dead. Yeah, that convention. Was so sad. It was the one of the biggest conventions ever. It was like up there with the um, what's the tech? CES. Com- CES. CES. Yeah, it was up there with CES, and then all of a sudden it's just the worst. Dude, twice a year we'd look forward to that mm-hmm. because I, you, I could, I was doing street promotion, I was DJing, so. We were playing at the drink. Remember the drink? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ice. Wow. We were playing at the drink. Ice. And wow. and me and Bob, I said, Bob, you're gonna be on the mic. He's like, What do I say? I said, just hype up the crowd. Do what you do at Costco. Just don't cuss out any white people. He goes, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Do, do what you do, do what you did at Costco. Do what you really do at Costco. <laughs> what the clicker. Do what you do at Costco. Just don't cuss out any. He said, okay, okay. I said, so he started, I said, and he's and I remember I said, dude, ask if the East Coast is here. It's the East Coast in the house. Ah, and he looked, he, I remember he looked at me, he was like. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, keep that going. Wow. So that was like his first initiation. I remember Wu-Tang performed. Um, I met Pizzo. Wu-Tang didn't have a record, so Pizzo went yeah, to his house. Yeah, shout out to Pizzo. Yeah. Wow. Pizzo went to his house and grabbed no like all his Wu-Tang records and was like, a great story. He went to Rizzo, what do you want? And we're just like, wow, you have all these records? Like, because Pizzo is a major routine. Yeah. yeah. Big shout to Pizzo. So, yeah. So, hip hop encyclopedia. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible, yeah. Yeah. It's a shocking how much he knows yeah. about, about it. And he had, he had a great uh, podcast, too, that was amazing. Yeah. Even to this day, I, I love it. It yeah. was uh, on the record off. Yeah, me and him did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. so good. So, so uh, Luxor starts, Club Raw starts. What year was that? Uh, let's say 97. Wow. Okay, so 97, 98, we get going, and, and I meet Billy. And Billy just graduated from, he played football, just graduated from college, and the club was his, his graduation present. Wow. So I was nice. like, I was like, <laughs> must be nice. I was like, no, I, I, think, I think this might actually work because I met Billy, I met Billy's dad, I met Billy was cool, Billy understood black culture, he was younger than me. I was like, okay, this actually might work. We might have some wheels here. So we just stayed there and kept going, and Thursdays just got bigger and bigger. And the thing that did f- Thursdays, and I, Franzen will attest to it, is mm. all the strippers used to come in on Thursday. Mm-hmm. They used to come in on Friday, <laughs> but when there was a place to go on Thursday, so they come in Thursday and blow their money. Mm. So you would do, I didn't realize this till later, but the place was littered with like, Chicks, I mean, hot chicks everywhere. Like everywhere, ev- that like, whole back VIP oh my section. God, dude, it was. This it, is before bottle service. Dude, so you got to understand. Mm-hmm. Like there was a VIP section, but no bottle service. People were drinking out of like red cups and stuff <laughs> in the VIP section. <laughs> well, I, I kind of remember that. Well, yeah. they, they, I mean, yeah. it wasn't bottle service wasn't heavy, you know. But that, you know, it, it became bigger after that. But yeah, he's it was, right. Okay, it was so bigger. so really, there were. Were no presentations like no 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 yeah. presentations yeah, yeah, at yeah. all none none right and I I remember they had this bathroom back in the in the kitchen and I and all these girls always come out of the bathroom I'm like why the fuck are these girls always in the fucking bathroom I need to pee and I didn't realize till years later like oh I know why they're in the bathroom but yeah <laughs> dude on Thursday <laughs> you would see a trail like it was just so anyway it was the perfect it was the perfect element like everything was perfect. Wow. Actually, the best compliments I've ever got DJing in, in my life was at Raw. I was DJing. It was a regular weekend. It was a Thursday. I might be ramping up to a third day, three-day weekend. I can't remember. Um, and and Little John was there, and my boss came up to me, Jerome. It's like, you got to start playing reggae. I said, I'm not playing no fucking reggae. 
And I was, I was cocky back then because place was fucking packed. He's like, you're playing fucking reggae. There's more people with fucking outside. There isn't fucking inside. He was like a military guy, so he really got in my face. He's like, you got to get these people out of here so we can get new people in. Mm. And I was like, uh. ding. So that was the best compliment I ever got. It happened two or three times where you come in, all right, reggae, so songs. Because we had to get everyone out because there's more people outside. Wow. Interesting. That's Rod, Rod never got in trouble inside. It was always outside. It's a very rare thing with a, with a club that size and, and the manager comes up to you and says, we got to flip the room. Yeah. Right? No, yeah. And, and it was like one o'clock. He's like, you have to slow it down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was a testament to what we mean about, like we had that place going like nonstop. Crazy. And it just wow. it just wouldn't go. It was just, it, we were just going to take it. Like my philosophy as DJing's always been never to cool it down. Even now when I'm DJing, like, okay, bring it down. I'm not bringing it down. I'm going to push you off the cliff. Right. Mm-hmm. I want you when you leave go what the fuck happened I don't yeah. want you to go like oh okay where are we going now mm. so I always even now when I'm DJing like we need to bring it down I'm not bringing it down we're pushing everyone off the cliff mm-hmm. we're not gonna glide them down they're gonna be pushed off so there, I was like, dude, we're going balls to wall. Let's go. Franzen, you remember going to Raw and shit? What? <laughs> you gotta understand. Where, where, when did you get here, Franzen? I got here in 2001, and Raw was like the Mecca. When I say the Mecca, every Thursday night, that was like, you know, 01. I'm in my younger 20s. I'm like, man, we're going to Raw every Thursday. And Warren said him and Bob had it on lock. There's nothing like it. Like you had, you really had to be there. You really had to be there. Like it was an experience back then. Like I got to see this man play records out of his crates, going crazy, making people dance. You know, this is pre-social media era. People had to dance or go to the bar, grab a drink. There was no distraction on your phone, trying to act cool, (laughs) take pictures, take selfies. Like people were really partying. And when I tell you, you would get outside this club and the line would be nuts back to the parking lot. And thank God that we knew all the Simone security guards because <laughs> we never had to wait in line. Mm. And all these Simone security guards are all from the Bay, so I like knew a lot of them. Yeah. So it was all like it was always it was always a, a, a an event on Thursday, like you know me, KT, and the people that have been around since I moved to Vegas. Like we're going to Raw on Thursday. Is that one of the things that planned to see for you to come out here to Vegas? Like seeing that hip hop actually had a home here. Well, like, actually, you know, what, what brought me to Vegas is is the radio station, the radio station, yeah, yeah. Hot ninety seven, because they were the very first uh, hip hop R and B commercial radio station. Granted, Kale, you see, was playing their you know their share of hip hop. Um, 88.1 was definitely playing hip hop, but we were the first, you know, commercial radio station. Like he mentioned those names, the, the Rory Max. I also got to give a shout out to DJ Benzo too. I know oh yeah. Benzo oh, yeah. used to do work. Shout out to the twins. Um, you know, all, all the guys that he named that came before him. Like I know of those guys, you know what I mean? And when it came to Warren and Mr. Bob on Thursday, that was it. There was no wow. competition. Like as far as hip hop parties in Vegas, it was all Warren and Mr. Bob. And, and I would put, first of all, I, I remember, I knew Franzen from the Bay. I remember listening to Franzen in the Bay. Um, and I remember he came, I was like, oh, yo, what the fuck Franzen's doing here? And I remember like all, hearing all the bullshit he was going through at the radio station. I'm like, this is fucking Franzen. Like, what are you doing? This is, anyway, so props to you on that. Because I remember how Thank big you. he was in the fucking Bay. And I was like, this guy. But um, I, again, he talks about me and Bob. I will put me and Bob at that prime against anybody. Flex, kick Facts. break, anybody. Anybody, because you couldn't. I was copying Kid Capri to the letter, but mm-hmm. I was putting it like my own spin on it. And mm-hmm. I had Bob, and I mean, we had skits, we had like 
there's this there was not I now like I said I'll say it now like no one was no one was beating Kid Capri Flex you name whoever you want to put up they weren't coming close wow yeah and and then I remember like uh, people were telling me opium right in Caesar's Palace and in, mm-hmm. in um mm-hmm. in the forum shops mm-hmm. right yep. When did they open? And Light opened in 2002. Light was the first bottle service nightclub, the official one, right? Kind that's, of. That's, yes. And it was like emulating kind of like a New York, Miami style. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they were bringing New York DJs out there and, and some LA DJs. And well, basically all the best, I don't know, hip hop DJs. I mean, Shaky, you would know more about this. So my introduction, taking a quick little step back, yeah. my introduction to Vegas very quickly was that I was putting out records with Game Records right. in New York City, and I put out an Eminem and Royce the 5'9", Bad Meets Evil record, and through that I met Warren and Pizzo because they had a hip-hop site. One of my favorite records of all time. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. And uh, through that, I around 99, I came to Vegas to initiate, for a few reasons. I love poker. I love pretty ladies, I love, you know, good weather, all those good reasons, but I came out, excuse me, initially to talk to them about, you know, helping us distribute these records, and that's when I started realizing what was going on here, and interestingly enough, very quick story, around that same time, Eminem, I remember very clearly when he was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, he had My Name Is, it was like the biggest hit, he came to play at, I believe, House of Blues, or... um, Where was it? I think it was Club Rio. No, it wasn't Club Rio. Okay. Well, because what happened was, wherever it was, it was, I think it was House of Blues or one of those. But anyway, there was a huge show. Eminem came in. He, it was My Name Is was like the biggest record. He oh, yeah. tore it down. Afterwards, we all get into the limo. Several people uh, ingest some substances to try to feel good. I remember, whatever it may be. <laughs> and, um, Coffee. And, anyway, and so we go to the... We go to Ra because everyone's like, that's the only club. You gotta go to Ra. So we pull, we roll up. I remember that night. And I remember, yes, and I was like, and I think Warren's probably inside, I believe. Um, it was a sat- Friday or Saturday though. It wasn't it was a Saturday, I remember. It was that. a Saturday, yeah. yes. And so we roll up and we're at the front of Ra, and just as Franzen said, it was like ridiculously packed. It was like <laughs> insane. But we got this guy, Eminem, he's got the number one song in the country. So we walk right up to the front. And I'm kind of leading the way because I'm the only one that kind of knows where we're going. And so mm-hmm. I walk to the front and I'm like, hey, hey, man, um, there's, a, there's a guy with like, you know, the clipboard, whatnot. And I'm like, hey, listen, man, look, we got Eminem and, and he just got off stage. Got a few people here. If you could get us in, it would be great. And he's like, OK, cool. No problem. Let me see what I can do. And then another guy steps in and says, I'm going to need to see ID from everybody. <laughs> and Eminem is like literally wearing the clothes that he had just got off of stage, which, by the way, was like a shitty pair of sweatpants and like a, a wife beater or something. <laughs> right. But whatever it was, he was like, you know, he was like, oh, man, I don't have nothing on me. He's like, sorry, can't do it, guys. That's it. You can't come in. And we're like, what, what, wait, wait, this is Eminem. You know, he's got like, he's literally on the cover of all these magazines, he's number one. He's like, I don't care, you can't come in. And you know, Vegas used to be, and, and still Vegas. is. That's Vegas. That Vegas still is still very is. serious about it, I get it. <laughs> and now, I, now I've been here 20 plus years, I understand. But at that point, we were shocked. So Eminem turns around and says, you know what, well, fuck you. And then it was like a fracas, a little fight. Not, no, 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 no punches were thrown, but like a, yeah. a scuffle. And then we all got marched straight out out of the club. Oh shit! That was that was like you know wow. introduction to not no, out of the casino. I mean, not a, uh-huh. we didn't go into the club. Yeah. yeah, you're responsible for bringing all these like DJs here from AM, Mark Ronson, right? You guys, and you're also responsible for starting 
I guess, you know, like one of the hip hop parties on Thursdays at light, which was bounce Thursdays, right? Yeah. Never, never. Uh, you were one of the residents there. I was the resident. There. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Were yes. the Resident there. Yeah. And, um, so the most important moment in that sort of next step, because everything that these guys are talking about is all very organic, locally grown hip hop, basically right. here in Las Vegas. And then the next step of it was the emergence of these bottle service clubs, particularly mm-hmm. with light mm-hmm. and light was emulating New York and, um, the, the pivotal moment was in 2002. I looked, I have a few notes here cause I looked it up. Mm-hmm. 2002 was when we did something called the big city DJ series. And it was basically, I was working with Sean Christie, who was, who was basically the marketing director for right. light at that time. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, DJ AM, Mark Ronson, stretch Armstrong and Eddie McDonald. Oof. And that party was on, Shout a, out to Eddie. it was on a Sunday night. Yeah. Yes, it was for, correct. It was yeah. like a Sunday industry night was their yeah. big night. Mm-hmm. So they had already had some momentum. It had been going for a few months. But now I came to town. I met Sean. I met Eddie. I met Justin Hoffman. I met Sean Christie. I met a lot of the locals here who were doing things. And then I was like, hey, you know, look, I and I already knew AM. Actually, to be very clear, I had actually brought AM a few months earlier to play a party at the V bar at the Venetian, if anyone remembers wow. that. Wow. I used to DJ there. Yes, yeah. I think I remember you DJing there. <laughs> I was yeah. trying to think the name of that spot. Friends, I didn't know you DJ at V bar. Oh, yeah. Early I didn't on, know that huh? either. I, I remember the very first time that Tao like, had a soft opening, I was DJing. Oh. And Tao is still going till this day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. That was a 2004? Mm hmm. Wow. So, yeah. I was doing a hip hop honeys party hip-hop in 2000. Honeys. One two thousand two at V Bar. One, one of the best DVDs ever. Oh, oh man. I still have my poster <laughs> at the house. Got it. Signed by all the girls. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I, the DJs were AM and Lord Sear. If you can believe oh, it. Oh wow, Lord Sear, wow. a rare appearance in Las Vegas. Shout, by, shout to Lord Sear. I used to DJ with Sear in New York back in like two thousand. No yeah, no doubt. He's <laughs> wow. a great. Shout to Lord Sear. I love Lord Sear. But yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, point. that was the first. I believe that's the first time AM ever played Las Vegas. Was that it was a, you know obviously V Bar is not a big place. It this is what, even before babies. This before was, before everything, I think because wow. I just it was it was I had just on a personal <clears throat> level just was like yo I want you to come DJ. I had he had already had that ener- that momentum in L.A. Mm-hmm. He was still big AM. It was before he had the surgery and all that stuff. Yeah, and um, so that was sort of the preamble. But then that led to Sean and going like wow this guy AM like I heard about him blah blah blah. So AM stretch Mark Ronson Eddie four Sundays in a row and I think that kind of kicked off. The whole, you know, and I hate this term, but quote unquote celebrity DJ. Remember they used to say that a lot? Yeah. Or yeah. what we sometimes now call mashup DJ, what also sometimes call open format, blah, right. blah, blah. But all of those DJs, obviously, especially Stretch, you know, are very, very rooted in hip hop. And Ronson also, as we all know, had a long history of being basically a, a, a Stretch Armstrong style of a DJ right. who would go out and play the same parties in New York City as Stretch. So basically, all of them were kind of in this hip hop umbrella, mm-hmm. despite the fact they're all white, but that is what it is. Um, but, uh, you know, it was kind of yep. like that. Would re- they represented kind of like the, as I said, the big city kind of sound coming to Vegas. And I think looking back, that was kind of the moment when it broke open. And then that led to a, a quite a few other hip hop DJs. Some of them have been mentioned already playing at light. Um, you know what? Um, Pete Rock played. Pete One Rock. Sunday, yeah. What? I got a story about that. Pete Rock played at Light. Uh-huh. Um, Premier played at Light. Tony yep. Touch. Uh, Riz played Ooh, at Light. Uh-huh. Shout to Riz. Um, 
I think Scribble, 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 Scribble yeah. thank you for, I was going to say, it's definitely Scribble, played mm-hmm. multiple clubs all over town. Scribble also played at Body English after MF. I remember MF, Scribble used to come with like 20 crates of records. Just <laughs> 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 to the fucking venue. It's funny because like Scribble was one of the, the DJs in the comments of this Clinton Sparks post that was like, I was the first. It was funny because yeah. all these DJs came out and were saying, I was the first one to d- DJ hip hop in Vegas. And it's funny, Sean Christie actually left a comment and he said it was Grandmaster Flash. So to shout to Sean, what I yeah. did speak to him briefly a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Sean did bring Grandmaster Flash to, that was definitely to um, uh, Mandalay Bay, to the House of Blues. Mm-hmm. Grandmaster Flash had a residency there, I think around the year 2000-ish. Wow. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a very early big DJ at that time, you know, obviously still, but you know, that was an early hip hop residency for sure mm-hmm. in one of these casino clubs. Yeah. But that was House of Blues is kind of like a sort of a rough around the edges type of spot. It's not really like a nightclub. Right, it is, right. but it is. It's kind of like, you know what it is. It's more like a band place. Yeah, right. You know? or a venue. It's like a performance yeah. space. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 But and nonetheless, that is an important like landmark. But, um, you know, once it broke open with the hip hop DJs, you know, um, I think I mentioned Tony Touch, um, Green Lantern. Lantern um, Shout out to Green. You know, he came out here. So there was, and then that sort of started the, the, the ball rolling um, for people. My job was often to be the guy that would help set it up. But then also I would go pick them up from the airport. I would take them around, you know, I, and then that's when I would figure out how many crates they had because that would be a factor <laughs> in the night. You know, like you had to pick somebody up at the airport if they, if it was, I never picked up Kid Capri, but I, he, Riz, for example, would bring quite a few crates. Yeah. We'd have to carry, lug him. It was like a huge schlep. You had to put him right in the up. car. Mm-hmm. We'd go right to the club. Like I remember driving right to that North Valet at Bellagio yep. and unload it right into light. Like the first thing you do is deal with the records because what else are we going to do with them? Like right. you have to get them right into the booth. And that was a small ass DJ booth. Oh, right. hell yeah. yeah. With the light? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And I think it was rotary knobs. There was no fader in the, in the first uh, the first when it two first years, opened. Yeah, true. The first two years. True. Yeah. That Shout was, out to Eddie Mac. That was raw. The first couple years of rotary. It was rotary. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I had to fight with Dwayne about that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What was the? What you ended up getting the dual decker rain with the with the fader and the I mids? I just I kept saying what the fuck is this mixer? He's like deal with it. And I was like all right, well okay, I guess you're. But then when I said I want to get Bob his mixer, and I explained to him why, they said okay, give him the rotary. I said perfect. Oh wow! And then what were you spinning on then? Uh, like mixer wise? Yeah, yeah. I think I had a fifty-seven. Really? A Rain fifty-seven. Oh. At raw? No. Really? No, I think so. No, that, that, we're talking about pre-Serato though. Yeah, yeah, I think I had a fifty-seven. Rain. No, I'm oh, probably like a fifty-four, no. 50, 51, 56. Right? Okay, I had, I know I had a Rain. I think I had a little Rain. Oh, a fifty-six. Yeah, yeah, I think 56. It was a fifty-six. It's a fifty. Was a fifty-seven? It with couldn't Serato? have been because all those mixtures you're naming had Serato. No, on them. no, no. Fifty-six. No. No. I'm there pretty was, sure it was a small Rain. I think it was the fifty-four. I could be wrong. That, I think it's the fifty-six. But Francis is right. This is pre-Serato. Yeah, yeah. Fifty-six was still. Like kind of like mid two thousands, yeah. Uh, and so even when we, to, yeah, even when we did Serato, we brought in the box. Like no mixer had Serato. Nah, nah, nah. Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. fifty seven, I think, was like the late two thousands. Yeah. And then we we started fucking. And I hated that fucking mixer. I really hated. Because I remember I got an SL one box in like oh seven. Yeah, I got 07. mine in oh four. Yeah. So I started late on Serato. I was a beta tester Serato. I remember that. I was a day one beta tester. I remember showing everyone Serato and everyone going, get the fuck out of here. I'm yo, I remember that, that too. I used to go to, remember that? go to hip hop site. He used to be like, yo, you got to get on this new program. Dude, everyone DJ. was and like, be like, come on, man. Everyone was, get the get fuck out of here. Get that out of my face, man. Everyone. The only one, I'll give him props for this day. The only person was Sizz. 
Sis, yeah. Riz, Spinbad came and they all watched me and they were like, fucking Sis was asking me questions as I'm DJing. Wow. And he's like, what's it? What's it? He's like, I'm getting that. I'm getting that. So, yeah. So what, what was weird? People were confused because you were promoting something that was going to be uh, putting your own business out. Yeah, of yeah, business. yeah. And, and <laughs> he's, 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 he's always like, like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, this is the future. You're like, well, we got we got like five thousand records in the room here. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like, we gotta, dude, let's get let's get rid of these first, and I'm then like, we can dude, worry this, about them. I'm like, this <laughs> I, I'll never forget. I can, I don't want to name names, but I'm, I, so many people were like, dude, get the fuck out. I'm not I'm not computer. I was one of those. I'll guys, never. Really. What, what was well the quote? The famous quote that said, "I will never trust my DJ career to a computer." <laughs> wow. I was like. All right, dude, you keep carrying those crates. You got to understand, I used to, like I said, I was there religiously every single Thursday, watched this guy play records, selecting records from his crates. All of a sudden, I walk in one Thursday, you know, because I would always greet Warren and, and Mr. Yeah, B.O.B. Yeah. at the DJ booth, mm-hmm. like always show him love. Yep. And I'll never forget, Warren was like, check this out. I'm like, bro, what are you doing right now? <laughs> he's spinning record. He's playing music from a computer, using records. Yeah. And I was amazed, but I was like, I'm not doing I can't that. do this. Wow. I can't do this. So and that was in 07. 04? That was 04? Dude, that was hella early. 03? Dude, just look when Serato came out and mm-hmm. maybe a year after that. It was, was probably like 04. I, I had a talk with uh, A-Track. A-Track's like, yo, there's this new thing coming out. You see, you want to get with it. You should, Because I was on Final Scratch. That's right. I was yeah. on Final Scratch and I went to uh, some, uh, I went to the WMC in, in um, Miami. And I, um, Serato had a booth, and I remember just waiting in line. You met Sam? Yes. <laughs> and I walked up, and I, I just spun the record. I just put my hand, I just blah, 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 because Final Scratch, if you spun it back, it went. Yeah, all the oh. digital shit. Yeah, all the digital, but mm-hmm. if you spun back Serato, it went, blah, 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 and I was like, sold. And wow. then I talked to Sam, mm-hmm. and I said, Sam, I've been on Final Scratch. I'm a big guy. Uh, you know, I, I do this in Vegas. I, you know, uh, A-Track told me to come about this. He said, dude, you want a beta test? I said, hell yeah. Wow. And now I'm on Rekordbox. <laughs> there you go. You're yeah. Future, now I'm, I, I kicked them to the curb. Well, when you were at Ra and mm-hmm. it was you were moving towards the 2000s, were you, were you feeling the pressure from the other clubs? Like saying like, oh shit, like Dude, no they, one, they're starting to kill it right now. No one was touching us on Thursday. And then we they gave us, oh. we were doing so good. They gave us Thursday and then they gave us Saturday. Saturday. Mm-hmm. We would do half Saturday. And I'm another big compliment is um, Bob's uh, sister, rest in peace, peace said, uh, I love when you guys are spinning on Saturday. Why? I go, why? Because the bathrooms are empty. <laughs> she goes, the hall's empty. The bathroom's empty. When you guys, guys get off, it's like this. But when you guys are on, psh, everything's empty. <laughs> I was like, really? She goes, yeah. This, and so that was another big compliment. But um, yeah, dude, it was, I, I wasn't worried. Dude, we were so... We were so, like, dude, nothing was killed. Dude, no, we were on, you know, Prince had showed up to the club two or three times. Little John was there. Um, Sujit would bring his people in. Um, dude, we were so, like, on it. Like, me and Bob were on it. And right. Bob was killing it on the radio. And, of course, I got all the free records from radio. And I knew all the right people. And, you know, I owned a fucking record store. So I could order party breaks. So I was like, dude, I was top shelf game. The only thing that stopped it was when 54 took over um billy's dad sold his interest so billy no longer had leverage and uh 54 came over and took over the club Mm. and i remember they said if you play any hip-hop night this night i haven't recorded you have any hip-hop this this night wow you you're fired you're gone i played 50 cent in the club and i got a text from my boy dave dave said what are you playing i said i'm playing 50 cent and he was just like yeah you're 
We need to talk out. That's such a Vegas thing. Dude, it, dude you don't Christ. understand. It was it was bad. And so I went back about a month later and they told me they were losing between a hundred and two hundred thousand a week. Oh, Damn. God. And, and and the guys that went to 54, they're like, yeah, we're going to turn this club and we're going to do this. We're going to do blah, blah, blah. Well, after the budget left, they slowly shifted the club under food and beverage <sighs> and disappeared. Damn. And I remember talking to Jerome. He's like, yeah, we're trying this. We're trying that. And dude, what? what? He goes, dude, nothing. He goes, we're losing so much money. Wow. He goes, it's just you guys. You're losing so much money. So then they just basically opened the market back up. Pretty much to they to like anybody could take over with a hip hop party. Kind well, of yeah, yeah. So and and it, it that's why I kind of learned how bad this town was and how bad hip hop was. Um, so you got to realize, dude. I I had numbers now. I said, yo, I, I knew what the bar numbers were. I knew you know what was going on. I knew what the crowd looked like. Everything. I mean, she- Shecky, do you remember this era, like this Wait. time, like kind of when you know when he's talking about this shift. When like the management changed and the ownership changed in Ra, you specifically in Ra, yeah, and then I think Light was probably opening at that time. I, I think I, I mean I think these these things coexisted because I think the Ra was more of like a real locals like hip hop crowd, and right. and Light was more just that bottle service type crowd, and so yeah. they kind of coexisted. There was like it's always been like that. Look, even in New York City, there was uptown hip hop parties, downtown hip hop parties, yeah, right? You know, it, all right. that that different kind of vibe. So. The light stuff was more like the downtown hip hop parties, right? Got I mean, where it was yeah, yeah. more, it was just like you play everything, and but it was hip hop based, you know. And I, right now, but you well, agree I with played, that? I would say when I DJ that light when I first came out here. What year was that? Um, before I officially moved out here, I used to come out in two thousand two. Yeah, right. two and three, two thousand two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I would say I would play like maybe seventy percent hip hop, right? And the rest was like maybe rock, house, yeah, and eighties. Exactly. But it was the majority of the music I was playing was hip hop. So everyone, so here's the thing. Every, it was all about marketing then because you couldn't, you couldn't have the wrong crowd. That's when I learned when I left. I was like, okay, I see what's going on. Um, you couldn't, you couldn't attract the wrong crowd. So everything was mashup. The, the word hip hop yes. was now mashup. Yes. If you wanted to say you play hip hop, you say you played mashup. Let's, right. let's, yes. let's talk about this a little bit because yeah. we just released a clip recently and we were talking about the term open format yeah. and yeah. how hip hop is basically called open format. Yeah. But before it was called mashup. And uh, I think before before that, someone was saying that they called it uh, non-compatible for something. I don't know. I, I heard that. It was called like uncom- non-compatible music. I remember we used to sometimes have to say upscale hip hop. Yeah, upscale hip hop. I remember that one. I remember that. It's so, it's just weird. But yeah, I mean, everyone, there are there is an underlying um, there was an underlying thing where hip hop was a bad word. Yeah. And basically, if you said hip hop, everyone in the whole building, meaning now a, a, a casino property, a big resort, where there's obviously many different levels of things going on, many different crowds and all that. And so basically, a lot of people in the casinos would not want to see that word on a flyer because that meant the crowd would be like this and maybe it would bring problems into the building. Mm-hmm. And, and so that became... They always want to mash up and, and, and you know, a, that's why kind of when AM emerged as the leader of this kind of movement, yeah. it became, they called it, you know, mashups because AM would literally, you know, we all know AM was like a machine playing everything. Hmm. So, you know, that kind of became the, the, the rap all, sort of the rapper for it, the, the packaging of the whole thing. And that became how you could play it. That's right. That, you had, that's, how, that's how you could play it. See, the funny thing is that... And that was different from yeah. Ra. Ra was, yeah, yeah, Ra yeah. was a we, real we hip-hop party. Yeah. Ra, yeah. Was Ra was a straight hip-hop. Straight yes. hip-hop. We played yes. straight... And 
usually around three o'clock we start playing like oldies like mm-hmm. al green and stuff like that yeah. but no it was straight hip-hop so like, like the misconception is that am brought this style of mashup hip-hop to vegas but it actually existed in new york like throughout the 90s right and ever, yeah mm-hmm. when you were going out they were playing joan jett they were mixing rock yeah, acdc acdc who? that who well who which which in DJ? the 90s right and then in new york like which DJs? Mark Ronson, Stretch Armstrong, yeah, Riz. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He was doing that. Yeah, yeah. So like, like every downtown DJ was playing like that. But Definitely. the thing, okay, from a technical point of view, so I yeah. remember, I remember being at Raw, and I, I think I just got let go, and Dave was like, "You gotta come see this guy named Am." And anytime Dave was like, "You gotta see somebody," drop everything, go see him. So we stood in the corner and watched him play. And the thing about Am, people don't realize technically mm-hmm. why he was so good is because he was sharp, his mm-hmm. cuts were quick, right. and he's one of the few people. Vice is another one that when they play records and they scratch, they actually add momentum to the track. Mm-hmm. They add, they add a feel, they add a so so. I'm sure other people were doing it, like New York, like you're saying. Uh-huh. But the the momentum that he was picking up as he was doing it was insane. I would say I would say what Am brought was Am brought two things. He brought turntablism, yes, to like basically hip hop, and we, he was mixing and mashing rock and everything together. But he was doing it in a turntableist way, yes, which mm-hmm. was unique. And it, it was yeah. it was actually probably something that Z Trip kind of initiated maybe earlier on. There, there okay. Right? So to, you, to your point, yes, yeah. there was the there was a um, there was a few mixtapes that came beforehand. Spin Bad, shout to the incredible Spin Bad. Shout yeah. to Spin his eighties, his eighties, his first eighties mixtape. Classic. Right. Yeah. It's one of it's probably my favorite all time mixtape. It was the first time I personally ever heard. An 80s record, like whether it's the Go-Go's or whatever, being treated like a hip-hop record. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I ever heard somebody. And then the second time was Z-Trip and DJ uh, P. Right, DJ with, P, right. With, uh, with the Uneasy Listening. Oh, is it called? Un- no, Uneasy Listening? Or no, it was, might, uh, um, they had They had also a mixtape around the same time. Yeah. It was, and, and, it, and it had like... Um, you know, it had like blowing in the wind and stuff like that. It was like yeah. Kansas with like the LL beat behind it and mm-hmm. all these kind of cool mashups. So basically those were the, that was the recorded beginning, in my opinion, in America of DJs kind of doing this sound. And then when it came to live, AM, Stretch, Mark Ronson, they right. were all kind of in the same universe, dabbling and starting to do it in live places and Stretch obviously is a guy who has a huge diverse taste in music. He was one of the guys that was bringing rock Especially with those downtown parties, like at Tribeca Grand and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like, but you know, more so here in Vegas, AM was the guy that. I mean, again, these, they all kind of happened at the same time because right. they came here to Vegas. But AM was the one that rose to the top because he was also just getting famous at that point. So. And, and he also, I mean, the thing again, technically, he had that Vegas feel. His momentum was impeccable. Like his momentum was so on point. Right. And that's what a lot of like DJs, DJs know, like a, a momentum and a feel. Mm-hmm. And Stretch had it, I mean, but well, he, not he, like he did it musically. Not like he AM. was like a turntablist, but he yeah. did it musically. Like you know, like he he the way he scratched and he did things was almost like an additional percussion. Yes, yeah. He, he really did it in a percussion way, and that's what mm-hmm. most uh, great scratchers do. They scratch like it's a secondary percussion layered yeah. over yeah. over mm-hmm. the songs. Facts. And, yeah. ch- and real quick, Stretch Stretch was on the first one to put um, a mashup on a record. He right. did "Hi My Name Is" over AC. The Humans. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. no, we no, were no. so we oh, were wait, the wait, Humans. Was yeah, bring yeah we were the Humans. Okay, okay. So we we heard. So it's funny because we heard Stretch do that. We're like, that's good. Again, talking to me, Dave and Pizzo, and we're like, yo, we could do this with blah blah blah. Right. 
And we're like, yeah, but I remember saying, yeah, we need to switch in. It needs to go back and forth. It can't just be the instrumental from this record and the acapella from this. We need to go back and forth and we need to be produced well, better. So I remember that. And then, yeah, we started doing the human I stuff. remember like the, the 50 Cent over Nine Inch Nails. Dude, there was a 50, the, yeah. the Eminem and Ozzy Osbourne. Right. Like, there was, the, we had a, did a whole album. Like, just some really good shit. Yeah, but, but honestly, it was, it was Stretch who did, again, copying right. people. It was, okay, I like what you did. I'm going to take it a step further. Right. And the other thing about AM was that he did it in a, he packaged it in a way that it wouldn't make the crowd stop. Like yes. a lot, when people, mm-hmm. turntablism doesn't usually equal sexy girls and like a good party. Right. Turntablism usually means sweaty guys with backpacks and bad breath, like standing around a DJ, you know, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, the so, DM, so like AM, the DMC, like all the, the DMC. So AM was able to package it in a way that was exciting and fun for like just the general crowd, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and especially girls. Yeah. Which was, which made, and, so that's what, and also it was, uh, the other factor I'd throw in there is that he's the hardest working DJ I've still ever seen. Like there was no, there was no breaking. There was no like, oh, let me just let this run for like a minute or whatever, you know, like he was always He thinking, kept it going. What's the next sure. thing? What's the next thing? He was always, always working on the next layer. Yeah. All the time. That wasn't Clinton Sparks? It was <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the second thing that I think he really, really brought, and I, I think beyond anybody, any other DJ, and I could be wrong, y'all correct me, I think he brought that celebrity shit to the DJ where like celebrities really like wanted to see him. He was the celebrity's favorite DJ. Oh yeah. You know, Clint Sparks, I think that's one of the things that when he said, he's like, you know, I had Paris Hilton there. I had, I was like, first of all, Paris Hilton was going to clubs in New York. (laughs) You know what? She was already in there. When I was going, I mean, when I was DJing that like my first year, they was all going there. Paris Hilton. They were all going out. The Hilton sisters, Britney Spears. But was uh, was Asher Roth there? That's the question. I, <laughs> he, he was the that, was, that was the name that stood out to me. Uh, no, I know. not at all. I'll, I'll tell you something real quick that's resonating with the whole podcast. Anytime someone like steps up to you and go, yo, I was the first, blah, 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 it should be a red flag. We just had a we meeting. Just that. We just had a Dude, meeting it be, it, before you guys showed up, and we said there's a new rule on this podcast. No one's allowed to say I'm the first anything. No. Well, you know, like, you even, know, even when they say that, I'm yeah. just like, yo, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. You know, usually, where are you, what are you doing now? How are you progressing now? Did you, you know, are you still relevant? You right. know, Tesla wasn't the first electric car, but you know, no one's driving a Chevy Bolt. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm saying, like, you know, it's, it's, Anytime you open the door, you know, it's minimal. It's hype. I get it. You know, I was the first to do this. I was the first to do this. You know, I get it. But anyone saying they were the first are always afraid. They always got something. They got influenced or they got put on or someone helped them along the way. They're always bigging someone up that came beforehand. Or, always. Or, or help them kind of, you know, leverage them to put them in a situation where they could be the first. Listen, you always you know? copy the other person mm-hmm. and then you make it your own. Bruce Lee. That's what exactly what you do. You copy the person before you, and then you make it your own. That's the new rule. No one's allowed to say this. It's not the about. First. It's, basically, it's not about <laughs> who did it first. It's who yeah. did it better, right? Yeah, I mean, well, who's still doing be. it? Yeah, that too. Who's still? Do- I, I, I like. I like. You know, I like staying power. Well, I, pause. You know what? I, oh, yeah, <laughs> I think. <laughs> no, no pause. Now? Okay. I, I think it's all important because I think whoever's doing it now is important whoever was the best is important and who did it first and brought it to the scene is important mm-hmm. I think they're all everyone has a role I think they, yeah. I think it's so important that's why you guys are all here you know what I mean and at this time when did like when we because I always hear about this and when I first moved out here everyone's saying like yo you gotta come out to oh you gotta go to opium you gotta go to opium so when did you and a lot of like locals know this because and we I wanted to talk about this a little bit more about you know, all these nightclubs creating these terms to like 
you know, shield or filter the hip hop word. I'll tell you, you know what I'm I, saying? I, like, I, I, mashup is like a corporate boarding, like board <laughs> boardroom like word that they were like, yo, this is sellable and we could sell hip hop this way. Let me. Okay. So here, here, this is what it comes down to when you bring in the wrong element, mm-hmm. black people, brown people, whatever, then usually what happens, usually pe- white people usually leave because they feel uncomfortable. Now, if you grew up in the city, that's not true because you usually grew up around about other black people. So you're comfortable around them. Not that many people live there. I mean, have grown up there. So right. you take a Vegas club, everyone's from the suburbs of the world, and you all of a sudden you get this rowdy b- bunch of brown people, and all of a sudden there's another table, you start feeling uncomfortable. It's not anything the brown people did. It's not anything, I mean, it's a great business move. I, from a business point of view, I'd probably do the same effing thing. You know, I don't want these people here because I make more money. But from a cultural point of view, that is what happens. Mm-hmm. They show up, and and the the people that are comfortable are the people that grew up around brown people or black people, and know these these guys are are, are fine. And that's what happens: is the bulk of these people that grew up in suburbs just leave because they're uncomfortable, and that's bad for business. You saw, you really saw it during the All Star Game. I don't know if you guys were yeah. out during the All Star Game. Yeah, that was the biggest faux pas in Vegas history. Man. You know, to this day, that'll never happen. That will, well, I, it probably will now because we have That's more infrastructure. <laughs> you know, we got, the, we got the, um, the Super Bowl coming up. Yeah. Now it will happen. It will happen. But dude, it you went, think the, you, NBA All Star in Vegas again? You, yeah, yeah. Because, It'll because definitely happen. What year I was think, that? Like 06 or so? 07. 07. Infrastructure. You, you remember that, right? I remember because that was the very. This is a funny story. That was the very first weekend I used Serato. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's bold. That's bold. I remember. I remember being in the MGM Grand, and the place is it looked like Freaknik, and all of the security guards, like eight of them, were all grouped up in the corner, mm-hmm. just not just just scared. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, "Ooh, this is not good." And looking at it from a cultural point of view, I'm like, I understand. They're not used to these people. These people are not, you know. Right. It's, you just don't, if from a cultural point of view, you're not comfortable, that's just how it is. Do you remember when we were spinning at Light and Jet and they were like, hey, All-Star Weekend's coming and they were like, we're installing a metal detectors. Yep. And, they, and we were like, and then I remember you were like insulted. You were like kind of heated. You were like. Was I? You, you were just like, why do you got to put metal detectors when fucking hip hop and black people come into fucking Vegas? I, I could have said and, that. And then, yeah. and then we also got to talk about in the 2000s, and I could say this. Me and Ever going to have our own podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, what up? In the 2000s and like early 2010s, there wasn't a lot of black and brown people of color presence in the city. It was very rare to see black people, like you see black people and, and people of color in the city now. Yeah, like it's very different. Dude, this is this is this is a still a small town. Yeah, you know we barely hit a million people in two thousand. So, me- yeah, I remember. And like, there's a lot of suburbia here. Yeah. Well, we had a day party. I remember there was one of the first day parties, and it, it probably is at daylight, probably in like maybe two thousand eighteen or seventeen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and it was like. 80 like 60 70 60% black people and people of color latino and i was like yo this is the first time i'm seeing this like it, and it was it was only it was very recent like it was maybe, definitely daylight yeah it was like 2016 or 17 17 probably. and i remember texting my boys like yo i've never seen this this diverse crowd coming to vegas mm-hmm. and and you know you can even talk about that you know on that large scale you know you've seen it from the 2000s to now I mean, it was very rare to see that many black people, you know, coming into Vegas into the city. 
right? Very true. Yeah. Um, it all started for me in 01. Actually, when I first moved here, there was a spot called Glow at the Hop. I'm going to take you on a little timeline right yeah, yeah, yeah. So Glow at the Hop, I used to DJ that every Friday and Saturday. And like I said before, you know, bottle service. Before, Where was that? Uh, that was on Tropicana, like Tropicana was and Spencer. Polly was the Polly was still there, yeah. Me. Yes. Polly Freeman? Yeah. Uh, Polly was Polly the one Freeman who hired was at Utopia too. Me. Oh, I know that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He had long hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. Polly. Shout yeah. out to Polly. So, 01, 02, I did that. And then came the SRO, which was after hours. So, I would DJ at the Glow at the Hop and then go right to SRO, which was a block away on Flamingo because wow. Glow at the Hop was on Tropicana. And on the east side, right? On the east side. On the east side. Yeah. 0662. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. 0662, where Six Club was. So the SRO was the old 662 where Warren used to play. Wow. Yeah. Three, <laughs> three times. Three times. Three times. Three times. Let's get a straight. Full circle. So I used to do that. And then there was uh, the Blue Note. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. The Blue Note right there on, uh, what was that, Harmon? I'll never forget that spot. There was just a bunch of, you know, different, different clubs I used to DJ at, like, you know, uh, every weekend because it was all part of the radio station promotion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Blue Note I played at Utopia a couple times um, and then in 03 came Juice it was a mm. a Sunday hip hop party at the House of Blues Ooh. which I did bi-weekly and my MC was Craig G mm-hmm. from the Juice Club oh, absolutely. Really? what yeah wow. yeah he used to live out here yeah, yeah. shout out to MC Craig G man. Yeah. That's my and guy a gun right fell there. out of his pocket on stage when when Mob <laughs> Deep came through <laughs> what forget. oh my goodness yes. yo that was that was a crazy moment like I get chills thinking about that time because I saw it I was like oh Whoa. <laughs> we're inside a casino we're at the house like in your head the music stopped a little bit right oh, it didn't stop it, de- it <laughs> definitely head, stopped like everything stopped time, everything. Yeah. but that that spot right there was special shout out to Brian Affronti uh, who's at Dre's and Ramon Mata they actually started that, that party wow. on Sunday nights and we had a lot of people come through I'll never forget Luda came by one year I mean uh, one night um, and then right before Yeah by Usher came out Little John had gave me a seat like yo you gotta play this this is a new single I did for Usher it's called yeah it's about to blow up next thing you know it came mm. out a couple wow. weeks later it was the biggest song in the world it was on CD it was on CD <laughs> I'll never forget that so that was like around 04 mm-hmm. there was a lot of other clubs that I did and of course we were talking about the magic convention all the events yeah. going on during the magic convention the clothing convention I did uh, you know a lot of events for like Fat Farm and Rockaware mm-hmm. um, even a couple of events for LRG as well um, but once 05, 06 came around, that's when OPM Poetry. Mm-hmm. Poetry, right? Mm-hmm. It became poetry later, yeah. right? It, it started was first as OPM. OPM. And then the OPM group in Miami, which owned Privé, had a lawsuit against OPM in Vegas, the spot I used to DJ at. Yeah. And that's why we had to change the name to Poetry Nightclub. Oh, is that what happened? Wow. Yeah. And yeah. you were DJing at Privé too. I would come see I, you. So, yeah, so that that's part of the timeline as well. So, Poetry OPM was like 05 to like 09. Yeah. Mm. And then once Privé opened, that's when so I got the residency poetry, on Monday. So OPM and Poetry, right? This was mm-hmm. the club when I moved out here in 05. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, I was like, yo, where the fuck are the hip hop parties? Because he would spin hip hop. But I was like, yo, I remember in New York, I would always, when I wasn't working, I wanted to go to a hood night. Like, I just wanted mm-hmm. to go like some, just here. Research. All the, yeah, all the yeah. hood records, just like, you know, because Sundays was really the hip hop nights in New York. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday was tunnel. Like, I remember going the tunnel, to the tunnel. Too. Yeah, I mean that's this is the Black Diamond era, you know, in New York. Uh-huh. And, and so I would come out here, and they were like, "Yo, you want to hear that shit? You got to go to Poetry." 
And I remember I would walk to the forum shops and it was the most black people I've ever seen in my life in Vegas. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, this is the spot. And it was upstairs on the second floor, right? Yeah. Upstairs on the yep. second floor. Right. You would see it from, it wasn't really a good location, to be honest. It, was, it wasn't. It was a, it was absolutely not. There's yes, a, yes. They never toys, are. There was a toy store across from it, right? F.A.O. Schwartz. F.A.O. Schwartz. The big horse. The big horse, yeah. Yo, this is like when I saw like bottles of Hypnotic and Hennessy just coming out. Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk was the shit back then, yo. Yeah, man, I heard you for the first, I think I met you for the first time. And I was like, oh shit, this is this is the face of, of like real hip hop. I remember yeah. seeing you rocking a party there one time and it was packed, dude. And you were playing like, you know, kind of like San Francisco hip hop. Oh yeah, Bay Area music. Bay Area that was like music. our Sunday night party. Though. I don't know why I said San Francisco. Bay Area hip hop. <laughs> I, I remember. <laughs> fix that, fix that. Real, real props to San, uh, Francisco for this. I remember like just when I was getting out of Raw or the last couple like years, uh, Franzen came in heavy with this Bay Area that was like, what is this? Like, I was never a Bay Area fan. Like, I'm not really a huge, Bay, well, I'm not a Bay Area music fan. And he came in and was like, Bay Area? They, he turned, I remember you turned like, everybody. Mm. Every, I remember, damn, I gotta get hyphy songs now. Yeah. I gotta get there. Because he, because <laughs> none, none of this, none of this was yeah. around. None right. of, and and yeah. Franzen came oh, in. it was never around. Dude, it wasn't, because I, because I know it wasn't around because I was doing the club. Oh, wow. And then Franzen came in, he kept going Bay Area, Franley Bay, all the little acronyms you did with your name. Genius, mm-hmm. by the way. Absolutely genius. Definitely. And, and so you do all that stuff and I'd be like, oh shit. And I'm like, I guess I gotta get this hyphy shit. Yo, when I moved out here, Federation. Yeah, when I moved out here, there was kind of like in the six, uh, 2006 and seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, hyphy like emerged with the emergence of like Bay Area. That was hip hop. Was that like, was him? It was already big, but like, yo, I used to tell my boys in New York, I'm like, yo, everyone is requesting all this Bay shit. That was him. And I was like, and it was like, I feel like fucking Vegas is like mini San Francisco. Yeah, that was him. And <laughs> I'm telling you of, that he was a leader yeah, of that it's because of you. You, you you had that bay you made that bay area presence in Las Vegas and even if there weren't a lot of bay area motherfuckers here you made it so that they were uh, loud enough to, yes. to be like yo I got to play bay area shit. definitely yeah that's crazy and you know that's how that's how that whole movement started you know once the music once it started to get in abundance and mm-hmm. more people would put out music you got to understand blow the whistle came out in 2006 yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you know what i mean like when i basically when i started at OPM so i remember playing that Playing that record when it was brand new. I mean, fam, like we, I told motherfuckers when they came to Vegas from New York, I'm like, you need these records. Mm-hmm. You need Super Hyphy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, tell yeah. me when to go. Yes. You need, uh, feeling myself. You need feeling myself. Feeling uh-huh. myself wasn't popping before the, the Hyphy movement. No. No. That, that, that all came out around that. You yeah. Know. Well, actually, no, no. Feeling myself Phil actually came out, out it, before the high school. Because it, it, really it was still when it was pop. It did. Yeah. It, it, it did only pop. mattered when he started playing it. Yeah. It, whether it be old or not, because I wasn't playing it. No one else was playing it. And it was like too and short. And then he started playing it. And it was it like too short. It. Yeah. It was, and then it was like too short, burn rubber. Burn rubber. Yeah. Burn rubber. Yeah. Shake that monkey. Yeah, shake, shake that, that monkey. monkey. All that time. And then blow the whistle is like obviously the biggest one. But I remember telling them, and I would hear Neva and Eddie. And that was like the, that was the Bay Area set. You had to play, yes. you had to rotate mm-hmm. yes. those six records. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you guys would play some of this old shit that I would never even fucking know, which yes. is like Pimp of the Year. Or yes. Yeah, all yeah. Drew Down. <laughs> I love yeah. Drew Down. Or, or Bitch Better Have My Money and all this shit. <laughs> if you really got good to you, play MC Breed. 
Then MC Bree MC yeah. Bree was really yeah. a turning point You knew yeah. you had a party If you play M- throw MC Bree When there. I came from New York Ain't no like, future Ain't, ain't no, no future Ain't no future in the front That yeah. hit to the beat shop Bam Crazy I look, at these, I look at these motherfuckers but That came from what? New York I was Funk, like yo Funkmaster Flex used to play that in New York Oh he did yeah. yes Yes yeah. yeah. Funkmaster yeah. Flex I'll, I'll never forget my, One of my first times in New York in 95 uh, Headed to my hotel from the airport I heard Funkmaster Flex playing I got five on it. Mm. Yeah, he mm. played yeah. that also. Yeah. And here we go with this shit. I was the first. There we go. Yeah. Oh, oh, shit. No, no, no. Because, no, no. <laughs> y'all heard this story before. I was hey, the first uh, DJ ever to play that on radio and in the club because they gave me a dat. Crooked thumb the hat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I'll never yeah. forget. They, they gave me a dat. And, and, and I remember that sample. I'm like, man, that's Timex Social Club. That's. That's why Bay you treat area. me so bad? Well, why you treat me? Well, the yeah. Bay Area Which song? is fine. That's right. Yo. Yeah. Time X Social. Uh, Which song? I got five on no, the bottom. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Club Nouveau. Huh? Club, Club Nouveau. Nouveau. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Club Nouveau. So bad, That's yeah. right. But the guy's name was J. J. Something. J. J. Something from Club Nouveau. Yes. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The same, actually, the same producers from uh, from En Vogue. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to them, man. Damn, Damn. Mm-hmm. we're going yeah. down to nerdy. It's crazy because I learned how to DJ in the Bay Area, so all this shit like Mr. Fab, Chrome Man, on all that shit, yeah. I knew. Yeah. So when it exploded, I was like, "Y'all late to the party," but yeah. I learned how to DJ in the Bay Area in 05, 06. Yeah, and that's when I knew all that shit. So when it got out, I'm like. Yeah, because well, I, I used to listen to the radio in San Francisco, and because I, I knew the internet, you could listen to radio stations. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. And then I used to, I had someone record Melody out of LA for me, and then I had um, um, through somebody, I forget, uh, through someone in LA, I had a, a server in, uh, in New York. And I could stream New York radio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would listen to Flex all the time and Flex Melody, and I'd listen to the Bay to figure out what was going on. Well, you can go on their website, oh. like hot97.com, and you can listen to This was before, before then. Before that, oh, though, this is before, before that. then. <laughs> Way before No, because I, I was like 04, 05 listening to Yeah, this is before that. then. Before that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I, 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 I knew the heartbeat was, I knew I, I got to listen to LA and yeah. I got to listen to New York. Got to. Those yeah. are the two markets, like. Must and this is you know this is pre, this is pre social media era. Yeah, right? yeah. songs yeah. are going viral and shit. Like you really had to you had to mm-hmm. do work. I mean the closest thing that was social media and it wasn't even then. It's not even close. But the closest thing because it's because uh, it's tied to a phone were just ringtones, right? Yes. Facts. Yeah. So the, Facts. The, the songs like even back then we were like, wait, this is a big ringtone. And I got to play this shit. And it was now? like a tone play. Was like, right? yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so real the two quick, way, the two yeah. way. Real quick with with you guys. Uh, so I don't really spend in like clubs right now, where unless it's a private party, and a private party is usually always older. So how hard is it to DJ, especially friends? Because I've been there. Oh yeah. When you are competing against the phone, like how do you even get a person's attention? <laughs> well, let's ask friends in that because I've, I've been I've been in the room and uh-huh. I'm like, man, I'm so fucking glad I don't gotta be here. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. you know, some people are just. I think what it is too, like I talk to certain people, it's that anxiety. Like mm-hmm. they just feel distracted. They feel in their own world when they're on the phone. You know, like, well, it's like they're socially awkward. So they they, yeah. but, they resort no no to no. Their it's phone. everybody. Yeah, but a lot of people. There's I mean, there's different. Everyone has different relationships with their phone. Yeah. Some people are socially awkward, so they go to their phone first. They, they feel safe. Yeah, they feel safe. Yeah. Because That's imagine they, spot, yeah. it's like kind of when you're smoking in a club. You're kind of a little nervous. You're awkward. You right, right, You right. go for a cigarette, but instead of a cigarette, you're going for your phone, and you and then you know everybody in your in yeah. your Instagram and Twitter. 
So then you're just kind of talking with people and you feel like comfortable. You guys run into that too, right? Like how do you, de- like, I, I've seen friends in like the party's well, going, momentum's picking up this, and then girls are like dancing with their right. phone and yeah. then they stop and then they dance with their phone. I'm like, dude, how do you? But, but friends but, will call them out. I will call them yeah. out. That's yeah. one thing I will okay, do. Good. Like if I see any, like, especially if I know you, they're at a table, they're VIP. Yeah. All like, the time. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you you came to the club to hop on your phone? Yeah. yeah. Like, for real? <laughs> I understand the selfies and, you know, putting... He's yeah. made me feel guilty. I'll just be like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> dude, I, 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 dude, I see it. I see it. I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not DJing. Yeah, but you I'm know what so Franzen does, though? And I've noticed as I've, I've seen him at Dre's for a while. And I've seen how his his um his you know his performances have like evolved. I think one of the things to battle against people on their phones is to create moments that they want to document. Mm. So like you know he'll mm-hmm. do swag surfing. He'll make it more than just a song. Who had the dancers come out? He'll pour Patron into people's mouths and stuff. He'll make it. You have like a couple of these 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 um. I don't moments. know. What do you want to say? Moments. Moments. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll have a couple of these moments throughout the night where you're just kind of like, yo, like these are big songs. Mm-hmm. Let's create big moments. So yeah. people are like not looking at their phones, but they're recording nice. or like they're kind of getting pulled into everything. They're participating. Right. right. Yeah. So like I've seen you do that shit. I think maybe one of the couple of the first DJs that I also saw doing that was like Esco when he had a... DJ Esco when he had a, a residency at Drake Dre's. Yeah. On Thursdays. That was on Thursdays, yeah. Yeah, he started like everyone was mad because he wasn't DJing and he was in the front more and he yeah. was dancing and he was like being more performative. Yeah, yeah. But it was kind of like uh, later I kind of got it. I was like I see what he's doing. Like you got to keep people exactly. entertained exactly. throughout the whole thing. Yeah, yeah I think uh, seeing friends in, inspired me to take more chances with records, and that's how he kind of brings people in. Mm-hmm. He'll play some like crazy R and B you've never heard, and then everyone just comes together and everybody's in one. So they put the phone down and stuff. Like that. Well, you want to talk about taking chances. Now we're talking about Dre's is the balls that Victor Dre and B.A. had even doing the move they did. Like I know Facts. a lot of inside stories. So I opened up with Dre's. And that's right. That's right. I opened Dre's and then they had an identity crisis. Yeah. For, for, four months in they're like this shit ain't working. Boom. Because they tried to launch with EDM. Right. right. Like yeah. everyone else. Right. But they they saw the they like this is not working. We're going hip hop. And I remember because I was cool with B.A. because I was at Excess and B.A. was at Excess. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember B.A. would tell me like the stories like yeah man the cops come you know blah 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 if we bring so and so so and so they're going to pull our liquor license they're going to pull this license. Damn. And I'm like so you're not bringing them. So now nah, we're bringing them. I said, "Wow, you guys got balls." And then I remember that the Drazer is when I really started trying to get into the business, figuring out the business and the economics of nightclubs. And I remember BA said, "Yeah, if we can pay down half our loan or a quarter of our loan this year, then our interest rate is cut in half." Oof. I was like, Oh, like every all the light bulbs came on. I was like, I know exactly what you guys are doing now. And I remember the flack from you know my my friends at XS when I went to Dre's. Oh, that's the Black Club. I'm like, dude, you guys have no idea. That's not the Black Club. That is pop culture right there. Right. I said everyone's gonna catch up to him. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Everyone's gonna catch up to him. But the balls to do that on that corner and knowing I knew what OPM had gone through with, with shit. I knew what I had gone through with shit. So for Dre's Victor to pull out his dick and say, I'm doing this, <laughs> you know, and, and I've seen him do it a couple times, you know, right? Whoa, whoa. the, argue, oh, <laughs> the argument, the argument he got in with Steve Wynn at, at excess, you know, um, and, and side note, Victor Ray builds the most beautiful clubs in America. I'm sorry. Like mm-hmm. it's hard to match him what he's doing. Shout out to Victor. But, but yeah, so I remember when, when, when they were taught, when they went, 
completely hip hop. Yeah. And I thought it was a brilliant move. Yeah, I told you the story. Like, yeah. Sunday nights were only hip hop night. Sundrays, which is Sundrays. Mm -hmm. This is like late 2014 going into 15. And I would open up for the EDM DJs on Fridays and Saturdays, you know? and But I would play hip hop um, until the headline and DJ came on. Yeah. So from 10 to like 12.30 was you like hip -hop. Yeah, yeah, 10.30 to 12.30, I would go on, play hip hop. But they would see the they would see the shift as far as people spending money. They would spend more money when hip hop was on than the EDM because we were you gotta you gotta think we're competing against Calvin Harris at yeah, yeah, this right. spot. We Tiesto at this spot. You know we got Diplo at this spot. So it's like the EDM DJs we had that they weren't as big as those names that all. I just named. You know they were like the the second tier EDM DJs third tier. Third tier. And I, I was there. So I remember, yeah, yeah third yeah. tier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. They, and they would bring in guest DJs. Like, I remember in the early days of Dre's, I would come in. I mm -hmm. would do, like, a Friday or Saturday. And I'd, like, kind of have to juggle, you know, either hip-hop and EDM. Mm -hmm. But as they started going on and you started having more of a presence there, mm -hmm. it obviously turned into more hip-hop and more hip-hop and more hip-hop. And then next and thing then you know, before, started, you, before you know it, they were they were literally, and like you said, the balls to stamp themselves as a hip-hop well, club. Well, you know what? Even smarter, they didn't say hip-hop club. They said live performances. Yes. Sure. Yeah. And I think we got to like, credit Constantine for bringing that live performance concept. Yep. Two Dre's because that's what he did is like, which is what he did in in Park City in Utah, mm. where he had the rappers and performers come in. They do instead of doing a uh, three songs, they would do a thirty minute, forty 30 minute, minute performance, yep. mm -hmm. and then it would be surrounded yeah. around the performance. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's one of the first people to to you know insert that and bring hip hop to the stage and make it work. And that formula is still going on to yeah, this day. Yeah. And at that time, you know, there weren't, it was still EDM heavy in Vegas. Right. Not a lot of people would book, you know. Well, people started artists. getting, people started getting confused. Yeah. Right. Because like, I remember when Hayes opened, mm -hmm. they had like Guetta one night and then they had like a hip hop DJ one night. And then, then it was just like, yo, you guys have to like have an identity for a club. Like people need to know where to go. Like even to this day now, people are like, "Yo, I'm in Vegas. Where do I go?" I'm like, "Fam, I don't know yeah. because there's there's no there's no resident DJs anywhere. The only one we know is friends. the only it's one Dre's. we know is like friends and at Dre's. But like yeah. I don't, I can't send someone to this club on a Saturday because I don't know who the fuck is DJing. Yeah, and I don't know if he's gonna play or she's gonna play more hip hop. Yeah. or EDM. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know. And then you have like hip. They're bringing like LA hip hop DJs to these big rooms. And they're playing EDM. And I'm just like, all right, like people are just getting confused. Yeah. Because yeah. if you know a big hip hop LA radio DJ, you're like, oh, well, shit, I'm going to go and, and listen to them play hip hop. Nah, they're playing mostly EDM throughout the night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I can't even, I, there's no identity for nothing right now. So when I tell people that, it's so hard. Like, and that's the one thing that Dre's has it has an identity. Very like, true. You know what you're walking into. Yep. Yep. And it's like, yo, Sundays is like this. And then, you know, like, and throughout the, even if it's a Friday or Saturday, you know it's going to be somewhat hip hop, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think the one thing I got to credit you, and then people don't know this, but during the EDM boom, yep, around the late 2000s and early uh, 2010s, mm -hmm. you know, I think all these clubs went straight to EDM. And, uh, you know, never me, uh, a whole bunch of DJs, I mean, we were always DJing house and dance we music. We always mix it in, yeah. yeah. Um, but we had to incorporate way more EDM because mm -hmm. we were like, yo, we got to work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we were like, you know, hip hop got moved to the side rooms 
and you know we were kind of mixing EDM and and hip hop and everything. And we I, even me during those times I was leaning more to EDM. Mm-hmm. But you stuck to your guns throughout all those years. Had hats and yet <laughs> hats <Hashtags. laughs> later on. You had hashtags and you stuck to your guns and you stayed hip hop. Yeah, yeah. And you did these these rooms off the strip, and you kept it popping. When motherfuckers came into town, they came to see you, and you kept hip hop living off the strip. You know, during those rough, rough times. Oh uh, yeah, and you, and, know. and you know, and and I don't know if every, anyone ever tips their hat to you, but I tip my hat to you, so that when you finally found a home at Dre's and you became the it face was, of Dre's and hip hop in the city, I was so happy for you. It was long overdue, man. It was long overdue, and I was yeah. so proud of you that after ten to fifteen years of of you really grinding in the city and sticking to your guns and really st- and and. You know, sacrificing all this shit for hip hop and the culture mm-hmm. that you finally had the platform for for what you had yeah. to the point where like all these like out of town motherfuckers who would you know they would tour they would do Vegas mm-hmm. like yo why is Franzen doing like he, he was doing he's one of the few motherfuckers that was doing Friday Saturday and Sunday yeah. and I'm yeah, still doing and that. you're still doing still that. doing that yeah. to this day yeah. yeah and it's like and they were like why are they having this motherfucker Friday Saturday Sunday they not rotating no motherfucker I'm like yo fam you don't understand this dude has been on the this is grinding through everything like he you know he's been he's been there he's been a survivor with this with this whole hip hop shit the crazy thing the, is the crazy thing is uh this year 2023 is the very first year that I decided to take two weeks off every two weekends off every month so I could travel mm. you know and go different go to different cities I see you traveling I see you know you. what I mean so <laughs> yeah. you know if anybody's out there wondering why I'm not at Dre's every weekend this summer is because I wanted to take that time to actually Explore other cities and play for other people. Yeah, you're gonna. You know, do it's New a York. challenge. Yeah, you're you know gonna I mean? you're gonna be spinning in New York soon, right? Yeah, New York. Um, yep, going back home to the Bay this Thursday, and then Toronto for Carab Carabana for the weekend. Oh, Oof, Friday, crazy. Saturday, Sunday. Wait, is Drake doing the uh, the, the OVO fest? No, nah, not this year because uh, he's on tour. He's on tour. I was like, damn, that's why he's going up there. <laughs> nah. I want to hear your take during that time, what you were going through, well, and you how know, the, and how the city was. You know what I'm saying? You know, around that time, um, I also got to commend the, the other people that. That booked me at these other spots, uh, such as Bank. What's oh, the guy, what's, the, what's the guy's name that used to book me at Bank? JT. JT. Shout out to JT. JT. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Moose. Moose. Yeah. Moose. Yeah. Moose. Moose. Moose is the Moose. one who got me at Hayes uh, to do a couple guest spots. Um, also, there's a bunch of other spots, you know, Club Seven, C2K, like all these other spots that I've DJed at throughout my career here in Vegas. But around that time, I think it was what year that popped that come out? 2012. 2012, and I was—I only know that because I went to see you for the first time in Vegas at Oracle, and you had that Oracle. Pl- wow, you had that bitch fucking popping, bro. Okay, so around 2012. Okay, so it was a couple years before 2012. So around 2010, we had a party at Hayes. It was an industry party. It was um, I think around the Magic Convention that French Montana Rick Ross there, mm-hmm. and something occurred on the Strip. Um, yeah. Oh, we uh, got to talk the, about the, this. The Ross incident. This is actually, yes. yeah. they talk about this, so, is, this is what happened uh, that changed, that made Vegas, like, literally ban hip-hop this from is the strip. It. Yeah. This, this is it. So, oh, yeah. This was, was Rick I Ross think, at Hayes. It was a yeah. Karma Loop party. I think a Karma Loop and Crooks and Castles party mm-hmm. that I DJed at. And there was an incident that happened on the strip. Um, and, of course, they blamed it on hip-hop because the people who got into the incident 
or at Hayes or in the valet or something like that. I mean, it was cra- it was kind of crazy. Like mm-hmm. it and was like a, like it was explosions on Flamingo. Yeah, yeah. Las Vegas yeah, car caught on fire. Yeah. It was crazy. It was yeah. insane. A yeah. couple of lives lost. Anyways, um, so that right there was when I got quote unquote banned from the strip. I couldn't DJ. I couldn't mm-hmm. play hip hop. Oh, welcome to the club. Yeah. So <laughs> around that time. So you got to think 2010, 2011. No, actually 2010. Like right when I got out of Preve and I was doing those guest spots, 2011 is when that incident happened. And they were like, no more hip hop in Vegas. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, man, I, I've been doing the sweet parties at the Palms already. I've been doing those, you know, yeah. on a small scale. But I was like, man, this is my chance to actually get some sponsors, get the bigger rooms, and throw real parties at the Palms. And that's when we started getting the Kingpin suite and the basketball suite. Drake, Justin Bieber, Rick Ross, all these people started finding I was doing these private parties. And they would hire me to do these parties at the palms right i would do sweet parties at the Palms. shout out to john gray by the way i would do sweet parties at the palms probably like four to six times a month when i didn't have no gigs on a strip wow mm-hmm. i didn't even know that yeah, yeah i mean yeah um so around that time um is when everything stopped for me and then 2014 you, you, you were still grinding hustling on the side because oh still, yeah definitely you still had the, the funny thing is all that grinding hustling with you doing those sweets you were hosting the biggest artists that were like emerging Drake. at that time mm-hmm. Drake all these people coming into town and that's literally what gave you all the leverage like even to this day now and yeah. and, and uh, sustained all these uh, relationships that mm-hmm. you have now even with Drake and everything mm-hmm. you know playing hosts like that that's I really tip my hat off to you, man, during those Thank times. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Because, like, you know, we, we, yeah, we all, like, you know, we all had to sell out and pay our bills, but, yeah. like, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and you, and you really stuck to your guns. And then, you know, I, where you are right now, I look at you and I'm just like, I'm so happy for you. you and I, I feel like you're at the, the, the right place with working with the right people and, like, you know, I see you flourishing and I'm like, and you were like, you know, we, we talk about the very early beginnings, the next stage of hip hop in Vegas. And you're currently like leading the way. That's right. Uh, from all the work that Warren Peace True. and Shecky and, and uh, countless others have done. Yeah, you definitely. Know? And, yeah. you know, it's a blessing to be in this position. And I know there's a thousand of other DJs that would love to be in my position, but my time's not up yet. Yeah. Nope. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm still here for a reason, doing what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And, yep. um, you know, when it comes to the culture, like I've been a part of this culture professionally since 1990. You know what I mean? Like I've seen it all like for real, like seeing Too Short perform with a live band back in 1991 for the first time. Like the first hip hop act I've ever seen perform with a live band, you know, to seeing him now perform. And he's still doing it over in instrumentals, which a lot of artists don't do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> A lot of artists don't perform. Yeah, over they're they're rapping over their, their own songs, songs right? Yeah. 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 yeah, who who are the artists that are still rapping over instrumentals? Because you have so many performers at Dre's. Mm-hmm. Like, who are the artists that stand out? Who to puts you? on a good show? Who's actually? Yes. A good, a, who puts on a of good the new show. generation of, of of rappers? Who's new who, generation? And then, and then secondly, who's not throwing microphones at people? Robin and Weaving over here. As far as the new generation goes. I mean, Lil Wayne is definitely not from the new generation, but he's yeah. definitely one of my favorite performers that, you know, we've he had. He puts on the show? He's got a show? Unbelievable show. Right. Talks to the crowd over instrumentals. Like, he really, he gets it. You know, he's, he's OG. Yeah, yeah. But as far as the newer, 
newer cast, let's see. Big Sean definitely performs over instrumentals. Um, and he's not even new. Like, yeah. yeah. What about the Migos? Migo, they perform over their tracks. Oh, okay. They've always had. And I mean, I don't, ev- everyone performs over their tracks pretty much. For the most part. Yeah. Like you, I think you were mentioning Chris Brown is even singing over his tracks, right? Yeah, you know he's up there dancing, and I get it. But the thing yeah. is, like, he's hitting all these notes. Like, I hear him. Yeah. He's performing over the tracks, but I hear his real voice. Uh, he's performing, all, like, saying every single word. I don't even know why he's not using instrumentals. But then again, people are saying, yo, but the... But the dancing up there, he's he's doing a lot of dancing. I'm like, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Not everybody can be like Beyonce. Yeah. You know, Beyonce go <laughs> goes crazy on that stage and performs over all instrumentals. Right. The worst. The worst is if you're in a crowd and and someone's rapping over or singing over their tr- own voice, mm-hmm. but they're out of pitch. Ah. Oh, so you hear works. like two separate. It's like two separate voices, kind of. That's the worst. Or they're and yelling, you know, or they're yelling. Oh, that's the worst. And and you know, it's not just the new generation. There's also some of the most legendary rappers. Yeah, still do it. Like, yeah. uh, unfortunately, I, I think Rakim frequently raps over his own vo- vocals. No. Really? Yes. Yeah. And even Slick Rick also. What? You and Kanye doing that? These are two of my favorite rappers. <laughs> probably my two favorite rappers among them of all time. But the new generation, it doesn't surprise me to hear. That they're they're all doing that, but um, you know it's so much better, guys. If you have a chance, just make it what they call a TV track, which is that's it. You have like yeah. instrumental in the in the verse, and then the chorus. You got the vocals. The vocals come back, so that you can have that feeling of now some energy. You, now you just hit a button on your controller. Yeah, just you got the stems <laughs> right there, right? Yeah, just hit a button, you're good. Like it, whatever. <laughs> I'm but not going in. I, I think one of the problems too, and this is not all the rappers, but I would say most of the rappers. You could tell me if I'm wrong. I think most of the rappers, DJs, are just homies from the block. Oh, without a doubt. And they're just yeah. playing. They're just kind of like yeah. rolling, and they have to kind of like, I want to kind of get paid too, and, I, and I'm rolling with you, and I'm the homie. They're like, well, if you want to get paid, like DJ for me. So they're just kind of learning to DJ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're maybe in a situation where they just they don't know enough to really make the show better, or, or they get too drunk. Yeah, or I don't know. But <laughs> no. I mean, that's what actually that's I don't I don't know Cardi the Cardi B the recent Cardi B uh, situation mm-hmm. where she threw the mic at a. At Someone in the crowd and and, and all of this. Well, there shit were two and, incidents. Yeah. Right. One was at the nightclub, and the next incident was outside at the pool. Like, no more than fourteen hours later. <laughs> <laughs> but she threw the mic at her own DJ. Well, she didn't need the mic. The vocal was still on the tracks. So. <laughs> <laughs> the first night when she was at the nightclub, she she threw the mic, I believe, at the DJ, which is a uh, Ray G, who's a her DJ. Very very cool guy. Yeah, it was yeah. somebody up there, whoever was behind that DJ booth, because I had just left five minutes prior to that incident. Smart. So, uh, <laughs> well, the thing is, the thing is, like. I like to leave like I got to make sure the sound is right and everything yeah, right? right. But once it gets going, um, I like to leave before the artists get off because I want to beat the traffic. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That mm. valet is a mess at the Cromwell. Yeah, all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I, I like to beat all that. Like I'm not trying to hang out. Like I've done all the hanging out. Already. There we go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Agreed. So totally. I'm trying to leave before the, the the whole crowd leaves. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, the rumor the rumor that I heard, and you don't have to you don't have to confirm uh, you know confirm anything. But the rumor I heard was that he was cutting off the songs, and just like uh, I don't know, just kind of like cutting songs off and cutting the beat out at the wrong times. I think, or he wasn't cutting off the, the song when they were supposed to, something right, like right. that. There's so many stories out there, but the second incident, which happened at the pool, is crazy because 
when she got on stage, you know, she started talking her shit. It's hot as fuck out here. Yeah. You bitches throw some water at me. I need some water. Oh. Yeah, yeah so, so she, she was wow. telling the crowd to throw water at her wow. in the no, very one, beginning of the performance. No wonder the girl went through the water. She was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, she looked like she was a fan. Yeah. And she legitimately, after there's another angle where they kind of show a closer up of, of the girl who did it. And she was like, really like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it's not like she flung, no. you know, she, 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 she spilled the drink. She had the cup kind of still in her hand. She just yeah. flung. The, she did it like a hey, Cardi. Like. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, you know, Cardi multiple times has said, it's hot as fuck out here. I need some, throw some water on me. She was saying some out of line shit too. I'm pretty sure you could oh, so she find, asked all, for find that's that a pretty, That's a pretty good impression. But I, I, I think that. at that time, <laughs> at that time when Bodak Yellow was going on, um, she didn't request no water being thrown <laughs> on her. Right? But, but you got to think the crowd is still... Like drink, <laughs> she wants water on her. Yeah, yeah. Dude, Why not go ahead and throw water on that, her? That girl probably thought, "Oh, Cardi's hot right now." But she, she some I, water. I, I, I noticed she, <laughs> she had a cup though, so it probably wasn't water. It probably something could have been a drink, a mixed drink, something sticky. And Cardi knew that it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but it was just yeah. She, That's what uh, you gotta deal with. Two mics drink. being thrown in under fourteen hours. Oh, damn, their audio take is pissed. He's like, oh man, God. this is big. It, it take a it. It take an act of Congress for me to come out to a rap club. I mean, a rap concert. <laughs> Dude, I, I am just so... I've just seen too many, and I've just seen, you know, I prefer, like, live instruments now. Like, me too. It just, yeah. yeah. I love it. It's just, it's like, funny. As a DJ, you just, you're, you're growing moments. Like, when I, like, I remember when Juvenile was released, I was like, hey, I'm done with this. I'm not... Ha came out. I was like, I'm done with hip hop. This is this really is, that's a damn. long time ago, dude. I hated that's '99, dude. Ha, I was like, I'm done with this. Like, this is horrible. And I remember the, the Jigger, the Jigger remix. <laughs> I started, ven- I started venturing. That's when I started venturing more in the house because I lo- always loved house. Mm. And then that's you know the whole excess thing came in. But yeah, man, I. Dude, but that that was a pivotal moment in music. Oh, without it, I'm not doubting yeah. that. I just. I was just like, come on, where are we going with this? Like, right. I just didn't, you know, I was just stuck in being, I was basically just being old. You know, you, you talk to old people, they didn't like back in the day, but, but I was just like, okay, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm like, I didn't sign up for Ha. Like, let me, let me. Is I that the one record that sticks out? The one Ha, listen, on I the, had. On the East Coast. Every, everybody has, everybody has that ha one. Ha was the one record. record like, yeah. nah, <laughs> not this song. Well, I think the East Coast, that was the beginning of the East Coast playing more like South records. For the oh first yeah, time yeah, on, yeah. On, like, mm-hmm. on like New York radio because mm-hmm. I remember being a fan of how like oh shit like this is crazy like we've never heard anyone rock, rap like this and then once the remix yeah. came out you're like oh shit that's important right yeah. because yeah, yeah, Jay yeah. was putting his stamp like yo y'all should fuck with this yeah which is in, uh-huh. which which I remember the, was Big Pimpin after that mm. it was it right was before it before that before, before okay yeah yeah but that was like we always knew there was like that South bounce yeah yeah but that New Orleans kind of that other New Orleans bounce yeah that was new yeah and we started fucking with cash money and all that it's really like kind of the change everything started changing and we were like i didn't i didn't fuck with cash money until uh bg bg bling bling bling, bling, really and cash money cash money is an army Army, yes yes though i was like okay i think i think they can pull me back in i think i'm back in how about when the Lil wayne records came out I was, never been, hot. I was never a Lil Wayne fan. No? no. You know, so BG I, was I that guy for you? Out of BG was it. Oh, BG I wasn't was a fan man. of those Lil Wayne records. New York wasn't fucking joints. with it. Yeah, no? who was a fucking with it? New York was not fucking. It was fucking. so no. big no, in no, LA. No. No. It was crazy in LA. Hey, when he Bay. was wearing Bape? 
and oh, all man. that. Listen, he destroyed Bay, Babe for the yeah, Bay man. Area. The Bay Area ate really? that up. The yeah, whole really? cash wow. money thing, really? they ate it up. Even the, it. even the even um, the masterpiece shit, uh, No Limit. Oh yeah. Huge oh no, no, LA. we were fucking with No yeah. Limit. Huge. But with with like the solo Little Wayne shit. And he was wearing Bape. He actually, in New York, like that's when everyone stopped wearing Bape because Lil Wayne was wearing it. Get the fuck out right? of here. Yeah. We were just Real? like, you were like, yo, Bape is black. Yeah, Look, Wayne, Lil Wayne's, Wayne's wearing, wearing it. <laughs> oh, man, I'm not because it, shit. Because you got to think about it. When you look at the South, they're not actually leading like fashion, right? Yeah. yeah. So if you're like, it's kind of like that thing where it's like, damn, they got motherfuckers. Like, they, <laughs> they got South motherfuckers wearing Bape. That shit is whack, yo. And everyone stopped wearing Bape. It's like I, Von Douche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a black bear. It was it was literally the time we we're like, oh shit, this shit is white. Yo, he just killed Bape, and wow. like the Damn. sales went. I think the store was the store, suffering. The store closed in New York. Yeah, what? Because of Lil Wayne. Because of Lil Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I got to do some research on that. Yeah, that's was, why Pharrell dropped Mr. Me too because Lil Wayne was doing everything Pharrell was doing. Mm. Yeah, if you guys didn't know, that. right? I didn't know. Oh, that. I didn't know that. That's where the beef with Pusha T and Wayne comes about, and that goes over to the uh, the beef be- between Pusha and Drake. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That was yeah, the demise of, of Bape. We were yeah, like, oh, five, yeah. When he was wearing the all purple shit, yeah. Yeah, we were like, that's a wrap. <laughs> Fireman, right? Yeah, Fireman. We was like, nah, that was the Carter too, which was a big thing in LA. Yeah, that was that was the end ever. Yeah, so, like, where we are now with hip hop and looking back and everything, it's I'm, I'm so happy that we, we were able to get you guys together. And um, I don't know, I kind of want to have your opinion on where, how, do, how do you feel about nightlife right now? It's like, especially you friends and looking at it and just kind of like talking about the identity of venues and everything. Like, where, where do you see it? Like, are you struggling with hip hop right now? Like, I, I remember there was there was this uh, this article or someone was saying that, like, there's no number one hip hop songs yeah. for, for the whole No year. number one hip hop albums. Mm-hmm. And um, even even you know, no one's on, putting out albums, though. Yeah, true. But, yeah. but even on this podcast, we've mentioned that like hip hop seems like it's hitting this nostalgia phase. Well, and know? that's the thing. Yeah, it's crazy because when I play now and I play the "Wipe Me Downs" and the, you know, the 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 tracks that's ten years or right. or older. Yeah, mm-hmm. they work better than a lot of the new records. Mm-hmm. Well, I okay. So what's happening, and I know this from having three kids, is Spotify. Now you have access to everything, and check and test this. It. Now you have access to everything, so there there is no more old and new. There's everything. My kids have an Afrobeats playlist. They have an old school hip hop playlist. They have a rock playlist. They have a. Uh, they listen to classical music. They li- my my kid came to me like a couple years ago. Say, you ever heard of Brandy and Monica? I'm like, yes. I said, listen to SWV. Listen. He pulled up the whole playlist. A, a week later, he'd been listening to all that. Wow. So oh. there's no there's no more. So from a DJ point of view, there's no such thing as old and new anymore. It's just music. Well, do you think you had an influence on that though? No. That's all. That's all them, and that's exactly what because you're that's be, in the blood of them. Now. Because my kids, my kids have a K-pop play- playlist, yeah, and they've wow. gone down to K-pop, J-pop, like they they know all of it, and it's they they watch tons of anime, and but this I've seen them do with their friends. Mm-hmm. I've seen their friends' K-pop playlist, and, and K-pop is actually like borderline it's massive. Well, K-pop is like borderline '90s, 2000s R&B. Yeah. So so what, basically, what's happening is everything is now out at once. Then it's not like when we grew up where you yeah. were limited by money and genre okay i'm a black dude i guess i'm gonna get in hip-hop whatever my parents listening to mm. you know the uh, back in our day it was a uh, uh, record well, i sound old as fuck uh it was uh you know if you worked at a record store the guys that worked at the record stores were kings and the guys that worked at radio stations because they got everything everything yeah and and i and that's um you talk about the state of like music and everything now dude there's genres popping up like you know 
like within weeks, there's new genres. There's over 20 million, 20,000 tracks a day on Spotify. A lot. Yeah. Shit ton. I mean, I'm, 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 I listen to a lot of music that has, you know, a lot of live instruments nowadays. There's a lot of modern soul. There's a lot of modern funk. There's like groups like Karangabin, okay. Salt, um, Salt, Salt, FKJ. Like there's a lot of really cool stuff going on that's not, that's, that's younger people making music with live instruments yeah. that has a, a funky and soulful feel to it that is so much more compelling yes. than another guy, you know, over like the similar type of trap beat, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But, you know, again, I one thing that we don't want to do is hip hop, we always said back then that we're not going to be the old men. <laughs> we did. You know, we always were like, <laughs> we, we don't want to ever be the guy saying, you want real music, this is real music, and we'd put on you know, like KRS-One or something. <laughs> but, but you know, so I don't ever want to be that guy. We all understand yeah. the kids, hip-hop evolves. That's the way hip-hop is. Yep. It's, it's, it's meant to evolve. It's meant to always change. And it's mm-hmm. meant for what appeals to a teenager now should not appeal to someone in their 40s Exactly. 50s. Now, you know what I mean? So we get it. And that's okay. Um, I think it has been interesting to watch if you were to draw like a graph of how hip-hop and and dance music, you know, which meaning house EDM together, how the, the the scale has kind of shifted between the two over all these years, and how now it's kind of worked its way to the point where pretty much in any club you go to, you will probably hear some hip hop. It might be over a remix that has like a fast beat behind it, or mm-hmm. it might be mashed up in this way or that way. But now we're at this point where hip hop has firmly yes. And it's not going anywhere. Like it's never going to have that time like we have before, where mm-hmm. it's like a. It's maybe a. It may not necessarily be on every flyer, but you're going to pretty much. You tell me. You know, most clubs nowadays, you're going to hear some representation of these sounds. You know, at some point in the night, and the guys that really got there were those opening DJs like the Mighty Mai and people like that who had to figure out how to yeah. how to bring these two things together. I found it interesting, Franzen, when you were saying that you would open up for the EDM guys by playing mm-hmm. two hours of hip hop. And I'm just thinking like, as the night goes on, the the, the tempos are shifting so much. Yeah. And and like whoever's, fig- it's, it, the hard part is someone figuring out how to put that all together, you know? Um, and so there are people here in Vegas who are the, the hardworking opening, not only opening, but the resident DJs, like the people in this room, right. who, have to have no, who had no choice over the years, but had to figure it out for themselves. Basically, you're thrown in the room, you know that some of the people want hip hop, some of the people want up-tempo dance music, and you just have to figure out how to like please everybody. Mm-hmm. And that is the real art of party rocking, to me, is being able to balance all those factors and come out with some sound that makes sense for everybody. You know? Flex. And that's the really important thing, actually. That's the identity of the club is actually the resident openers for the club. I, you know? I, I, always, felt, I always felt that that was the biggest mistake, and I say this because I, I was uh, on the receiving end of this, is I always felt that the clubs needed to champion their resident DJ, mm-hmm. similar to how Dre's is doing um, Franzen, you know he's yeah. you know on the flyers, uh, you know doing stuff. I always thought that there's, there's only one Franzen. Yeah, but I, you know, when I when I was at Excess, that was the biggest mistake I made. I thought, okay, I was one of the biggest re- uh, residence DJs at Excess. I had other DJs tell me how good I was, tell them how good I was. I thought for sure, okay, you guys should do more with me to promote the club. 
I, now it's just my selfishness thinking my way. But I've always thought that was the major failure. For instance, if you take someone like a Franzen and you build up Franzen to a level where you could give him a Saturday night and people would still show up, mm-hmm. you know you know how much money you're saving when you're paying oh, yeah. future, like a quarter of a mil? Mm-hmm. And I remember having these these talks with like Jesse and 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 the, the higher ups to win and it just it just was not happening and I remember thinking like you guys could save so much money if you did that and you know mighty my you know yeah no, you're, you're so correct it's but, always been this weird disconnect in Vegas where the guys that are working their ass off who actually are keeping this, this the, the room full yes. and actually are leading to know bottle the sale. room better than anybody they're making yep. sure that the, the party is go is strong are the ones that when it comes to the marketing would be overlooked often facts in favor of the guest that's coming in and sometimes as we all know the guest might bomb I mean it might not work it, it might not draw a crowd they might not do a good show whatever it may be you have to throw it back to the the local guy, and it was always this weird disconnect, especially with Wynn, mm-hmm. about yeah. not promoting the guy that's there every day, but only promoting this guest. And and you're right. It doesn't make sense because the, the smart move is do what- The what, smart moves build make, them up. Make the, make the guy that lives in Vegas into a star. Yes. So that people mm-hmm. want to come see that. You save so much money. Save so much money. But you also, it's just it's a positive for everybody. It's like, you know, anyway. So. I mean, I had, I had the same problem with Light Group when I first moved yeah. out here. The first two years at Light, me and Eddie McDonald was the resident DJ. Mm-hmm. They never promoted us once. Mm-hmm. They never put our names on a flyer, on a fucking poster, or anything. Get them. They I- was holding the rooms down for yeah. two years. No other DJs. That club was open like three nights a week. <laughs> Tell them all you're mad, son. And it was just us rotating <laughs> every other day, man. I remember, well, yeah, man. Yeah, I was the, I was actually the, I was the asshole when I joined Light Group. That was like talking to Andrew Sasson and Andy Massey, like. Yo, you got to put these guys on the flyer. And like it became like a the biggest issue like the first six months I was there. Yeah. And then finally, like, crooked, shut the fuck up. We're going to put names on the fucking flyer you, now. The, the thing, know? and what that is, is that's just Vegas culture. Because right. Vegas never helped any artists to coming up. Like the Bay, if you were a Bay Area artist, you had Bay Area love. You still see it. You A New York artist, same mm-hmm. thing. Florida, you know. Philly. All yeah, hometown. Yeah. You got your hometown. Vegas, they never, they, hometown heroes would not get shit. And I, it, it always threw me for a curve. Like, why are you guys doing this? Like, Afrojack or Vici would come in and go, we want Warren, Dead Mouse, we want Warren, we want Warren Oprah, you know, Warren this, Warren that, come in, listen to the set, blah, 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 blah. And they would see all this stuff going on. I'm like, you guys should push me more. You guys should, I should be uh, uh, one of the people that you guys push because you're going to save a shit ton of money. Right. And I, of course, I'm being selfish thinking that, but from a, from a money point of view, I always thought they should do that. And I would see it in other places. I'm like... But it's also you need the right people at these venues that see the work and they see what's going on and they're championing the people that work there. And that's really the thing that's changed, I think, in a lot of venues is that I think they see DJs as interchangeable. Oh, yeah. The the weirdest thing that I've seen recently in the past, I don't know, five or so years is like these venues are rotating their openers. I'm like, why would you ever do that? Yeah. Like, you know, like me and Ever were talking about that. Why would you rotate openers? The opener's supposed to know that room and know how to open and close it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you're rotating a bunch of DJs that don't know that room. Yeah. yeah. Or they're like, stick to one venue. Like, yo, you're going to handle this. You really do well in this room. Stay here. You, you, you know, stay over here. There's a little bit more EDM. You do this room. They're like rotating everybody. Yeah. So there's no identity anywhere you go. I, I always thought, especially the win, I always thought there was a major fail when they thought that the DJ was running the room and not the room. 
And you would see, I saw that and it took a while for me to realize how people inside Vegas sleep on Vegas. Because if you're coming from out of town and you go to a nightclub, that's the club you're going to and this is the most amazing club ever. And people in Vegas would not see that. They don't, they look, people in Vegas see from the inside looking inside. They don't see from the outside looking in. Mm. And I remember sitting by the stairs at the wind and seeing that grand reveal when you go up the stairs. And I, I can, I don't know how many people would stumble and fall down those stairs because they're like, oh my God. And I was like, dude, you could have a monkey DJing right now. It doesn't matter. This is the draw. And that was, the, that was such a pivotal, and this is now a separate type of topic, but that was the pivotal moment for XS because when they launched, the DJ was literally hidden. It was like, he, you guys were like behind a yeah. wall, behind like a, a cut in the wall. <laughs> yeah. And that, that happened that, at Trist too, didn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they moved it, and then someone had the very obvious idea when you see when you walk in you see that amazing sort of vista of like you know you see the outside you see fountains you see this huge beautiful space put the dj right there in the fucking middle that's where the dj should be Mm -hmm. and then finally that's kind of when everyone shifted towards these dj centric yeah headliner type Mm -hmm. things all over the city it was that it was that sort of excess was always sort of the the poster boy for hip hop, I mean, for um, nightlife in Vegas and yeah. for, you know, making all the moves that kind of led the way for the big rooms. Mm-hmm. No, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that club was, I mean, I know we're not talking about hip hop, but that club was, you know, I remember when, we, when me and Dave first started programming that club, we said we're going to spend house because we wanted to go the exact opposite everyone else was going. And I remember my friends would come in there and be like, what the fuck are you playing? A perfect story. Melody, uh, wife came in and, she came home four or five o'clock in the morning. Melly's like, well, how, how was he? And she was like, it was amazing. And he, of course, the DJ, what did he play? What songs? And she was like, I don't know what the fuck they were playing, but it was absolutely amazing. I had the best time ever. Dope. Mm. And then Mel D came back and he heard me spin. He was like, dude, I don't know what the fuck you were playing. I don't know one of those songs. And he's like, but you got people moving. And he remember he started doing homework from that point on. Yeah. But um, yeah, that- when I always felt when was like a, not one of my proudest moments, but probably tied for number one. It was always when it's hard to say raw uh, all the way in, but it's re- I can't. It's two it, different eras. Yeah, well, but you live two two golden eras. I like yeah. to say I lived through two golden two, eras. And and, that, and I I think that was my most proud achievement in Vegas is the fact that I was able to pivot like that from one top of the game here and then go to the top of the game over here. Yeah, yeah. That was my one thing. I was like, okay, this I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cool with this. Bring, bringing the DJ to like center stage was like a blessing and a curse because I don't know about your opinion, but I'm curious to know your opinion. Does that, I know that formula works well with EDM. Does that formula work well with hip hop in a hip hop room? And I think it's, I think it's kind of, I don't know. I, I always thought it, it's not the best formula for hip hop. When my, to, when my DJ booth moved from the pit to the stage, yeah. I was kind of like, man, this is different. You know what yeah. I mean? Because when you're in the pit, you can connect with the people more. Mm. That's the one thing I, I, I definitely try to do when when I'm DJing. I like connecting with the people, you know, making sure everybody feels welcome. You mean the, the people like the people in the front or in the- everybody, everybody, whether they're, you know, in the crowd, VIP. Wait, explain the pit and the front stage. The pit is a little bit more the back. Pit, no, it used you to, remember, remember the pit used to be 
like be down, down. Low, not on the, the stage. DJ used to be on the floor. You DJ there. You were DJ. Okay, okay. Yeah, the, yeah. remember it was on the floor and they had the and there was like a oh, stage. It was, it wasn't it was the like big a stage. Long table. So the DJ booth what when you say it was in the pit, it was like kind of like level where the crowd level. Yeah, it was level it was a half level. moon on the right. dance floor. You uh-huh. spun yeah. there when it was like I know, that. I just, my memory <laughs> my memory is shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was like smoking on man. Yeah, was and then they moved they they built the stage and they started like Yeah, when it started getting elevated and you couldn't even tell where the DJ was a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it, it was harder. It, it, it got kind of, it got kind of weird and harder to connect with the crowd. But you know, I figured it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I've been on, I've been in that room going on nine years in January. So Damn, yeah. crazy! It's my longest residency ever. Damn. It's got to be one of the records for any DJ residency. Yeah, you know, for any uh-huh. genre. I don't know. Fergie, Fergie is still at uh, Wet Republic. Okay. <laughs> You know what? Uh, actually, I think maybe five. I was gonna say five at uh, five at, 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 at Worship Thursdays. Oh shit! I think that was yeah. like eleven. I think he years? was there for like twelve years. Yeah, no 12, more. Wait, long time. Oh, Shout to five. Going. He's involved in the hip hop story. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, yes. yeah, yeah, that's yes. another thing. When yes. I got here, five and um, Justin Hoffman DJing at the House of Blues. Yes, right. Correct. Um, uh, foundation room. Excuse foundation me. Foundation room was and that was a vibe. Shout to Mike Fuller. Right. Five was one of our first so, employees at Hip Hop Site. That yeah, foundation room, hip hop room, was some real shit. That was Mondays, right? Monday it night. It was Godspeed. Ooh. I actually did it with Justin yeah. Hoffman um, later was, on. That's when he would wear his red sweatpants every night. He wore the same thing. You know, yes, it was exactly. A, yeah. No, but it was it was it was a good party. That that was like some. That was the first time I saw the real sort of hey. hip scene of Vegas. It was like pimps um, and people hanging out. Every, you like, seen pimps. Oh, you seen prostitutes. Everything. I one night I seen yeah. Michael Jordan there with three snow bunnies with a stogie <laughs> walking through. Nice. I was like, yes. Oh. And you got to understand this is this is a time when. Five and Justin were playing vinyl still. And they're right. playing like Gangstar yeah. and shit like yeah. that. Yeah. They're yes, playing yes. like, it's great. Playing it's scenario v Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, shout out to DJ Five, man. Yeah. He's been in it a long time. He was doing V-Bar too. I think. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. He was a v- Five's done everything, man. Yeah. Yeah. In the city. I used to Five's stand behind the counter at Hip Hop Site. Yeah, I'm table. telling you, Five, I, yes. I will never let him down. Five used to work for me at Hip Hop Site. Your your yeah, best employee, time, right? Yeah, ever? exactly. <laughs> first time I met Five was at was at Hip Hop Site. I yeah. remember he would cut behind the cash register. There was like a turntable near yes. near the yes. cash register. Yes, yes. and I see I would walk in. I'd see Five cutting like right behind the cash register. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that was a time right there. That was a time. Yeah. Man. That was cool. Wow, Foundation Room was crazy. That's that an was, important one. It was Eddie in one room. Uh-huh. It was Mike Fuller, Eddie, and Justin were the three main yeah. DJs. Uh-huh. Eddie was playing classics. And I remember the first record I, I, I ever met Eddie. I walked into the room. It was um, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, let's, let's Groove Tonight. Let's groove. Oh, wow. It was Let's Groove Tonight. And then and the other room was Justin playing like real, like, you know, New York City hip hop. And then the other room was was house basically. Yeah, so, yeah, that was a good party. I, one of the things I wanted to bring up uh, was that you know during the early two thousands and even the nineties, there was this separation of like hip hop and house, and it started to come together kind of towards the late two thousands. But I and for for me in New York, it was happening in the early two thousands. But I remember remember this is how even you and Eddie met. Where there was like every venue, they wanted to mix house and hip hop. So yeah. they'd hire a house DJ and they'd hire a hip hop DJ. 
and it was like the hip hop DJ would bring his crates of records, the mm-hmm. house DJ would bring their crates of records, and they would like intermingle. And I don't know if there was an agreement on like you do 20, 30 minutes, I do 20, 30 minutes. And even when I went to Raw, we, did, fr- that on, we did that on Saturdays. Yeah, so, King, yeah. Yeah, so the first time I went to Raw, it was literally that formula where I went there and it would be like I was a hip hop head. So I would like, I was jamming out, and I'm assuming that's when you were DJing. Yeah. And I would hear like next episode, we were wilding out. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we'd hear house. Yeah. And I'd be like, and then I remember at the time, I'm like, what the fuck is this DJ doing? Yeah. Like, why are they mixing it up like this? You know, and it wears these segments. So it's like when house came on, it's like, all right, let's go get a drink. Yeah. All right. Um, and then towards the in the in New York, what started happening, and Serato actually helped us a lot, but it was it was happening with vinyl, was that the DJs, like I started having to like DJ rooms where they wanted house and hip hop. So like they, it was just more affordable to hire one DJ yeah. who could who could play both of them. Mm-hmm. So that that started like mashing up and to the point to where it got to where it is now, where it's like it's intermingling with EDM and house. But that's how you well, and that's how you and Eddie met. Me and Eddie used to DJ in the Hamptons together. I would start the night off with hip hop. I do from ten to twelve hip hop. And Eddie would do from 12 to 4 house. What year was wow. this? Actually, I mean 10 to 12.30 or 1 o'clock. What year was this? This is like 19, this is 2000. 2000. 2000, 2001. Yeah. And then when Eddie moved to Vegas in 2002, they finally let me do um, the main room by myself. And I was, I learned how to do house and hip hop to combine it together. And that was like- But that was you and Eddie helping each other too, right? Yeah, Eddie showed me like, he told me which records he played, which- how to rock that room, and because of him, I would learn how to play house. And also, you're listening to his set while while you while I'm while hanging out off. there. Yeah. Exactly, he would listen to my set, so we would both help each other out. Yeah, Eddie's like, "Yo, I got to do a hip hop room. What what are the hip hop yeah, records? Yeah, yeah. What were these records that you played?" And you'd be like, "Yo, you need this, you need that, exactly, and whatever." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think that was uh, one of Sheck's uh, biggest credits to this whole journey was mm-hmm. the fact that so usually what happened is the higher ups were all business people. They, you know, they didn't want to spend any money. They want to give the DJ as cheap amount of money as possible. And then you had an artistic person like Sheck would walk in and go, no, we need to do this. We need to do this. And Sheck was like the voice that people would actually, you know, the winds and whoever else you were dealing with at the time would actually listen to. If me, you guys came in and said, hey, we need to do this. The same DJ can do hip hop house. The guy would be like, get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. Sheck walked in and said, hey, this guy can do this and this. We'll divide it like that. Like he was the voice of uh, the artistic voice and the voice of, of uh, ideas, I guess I want to say. They would come in and go, no, 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 we can do this, this, and this. Hmm. And they would, you know, listen to Shaq and trust Shaq more from the point of view. And, and they would start doing it. I, I remember a couple times coming visiting Shaq at his office and just talking. And that's when I would pick his brain. And I was like, damn, you're right. You got to. Which office you mean when the game office was? Or, no, no, or- at Wynn. Oh, when we were at Win. When okay. you were at when Win. I was at Win. Yeah, 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 because when the game office was over and we were just we'd going talking and we'd bitch a little bit, but Sheck would always <laughs> be like, well, you know, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I see what he's doing. He's finessing this whole corporate thing. Because I never I never worked for anyone. I mean, Costco is like the only job I really worked for anybody. <laughs> yeah. So, and I was on the hot dog car. I'd do anything I want. So I would talk to Sheck and Sheck would kind of be like, no, you can't approach it like that. You have to do it like this. And I, that's why I kind of learned. Sheck, you were kind of, you were navigating the hip hop world and the EDM world together, you know, you were kind of trying to put it together. Yeah. Like we were just speaking of, and you were, you were, you were instrumental in bringing those worlds together, right? There was some, there was, thanks, thanks for that, Warren. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was times when they were both in play at the same time. And that's why I brought up examples like 
the way the opening DJ would have to bring those things together, like Milo and so forth. But mm -hmm. there was also times when, for example, after AM passed away, we did that big party. We had Jazzy Jeff. That was when he famously got pulled off the turntable. Right. Um, that was at the win. That was at yeah. win. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> By the way, that's all in the past. We've, we've it's come full circle. It's come full circle, edit, and, and, and no, it's not even edit. It's all it's all good because yeah. Je Jeff, you know, is still to this yeah. day obviously one of the best. And I think Jeff has only gotten better with time. Let me just Facts. say that yeah. Jeff, I've I've seen Jeff play in Vegas all those years dating back to the the you know two thousand forward. I've saw him play in Vegas a dozen times or more. And I think the last few times I've seen him, it was the best he's, at. he is getting better and better. And he's now, it's like this flawless landscape, you know, this sort of the soundscape where it's one thing into the next with that kind of rhythmic scratching in between. And it's all genres and all tempos and, and different eras and all that stuff. And so he's, Jeff is the master of the game and has gotten better, even maybe in the early days, I might not have liked to set as much because he was playing more of like kind of maybe what he thought they wanted. He wasn't really putting mm. as much into it. But um, yes, there were a lot of times when we had to navigate some of the corporate stuff. And, you know, listen, even in the corporate era, when a big EDM guy would come in, sometimes they would bomb. Sometimes they wouldn't tell tickets. Yeah. Sometimes they wouldn't do a good show. There was always these, there was, there was, there was um, challenges and surprises on all the genres. It didn't really, it wasn't only hip hop or only EDM. But yeah, um, but yeah there was, um, it's come a long way. I think now, like, I, I still think that, um, you still, as you said earlier, Crooked, I think when you go to a club, you kind of want to know what you're going to get. You kind of want to know, like, what it is. Like, is it going to be, what's the energy level going to yeah. be like? And so that is kind of lacking nowadays. You don't really know, except for maybe when you see a big headliner like a Diplo or a Tiesto or something like that. But other than that, people don't really know. So it's up to these guys to kind of play everything. Nowadays, everything is everything. You got Afrobeats, you got Latin, you got, yeah. you know, hip hop, you got... We asked this before, just, is anyone playing Afrobeats? Remember when we did the EDM house episode here? Yeah. I, I brought up Afrobeats because I was curious. Is that, is, is, do you, are you hearing it anywhere or not really? I think Afrobeats, I think we spoke a little bit about this with DJ MoMA, but it's become kind of the soundtrack for like new R&B lounge grown and sexy music. Yes. So it's very early or late in the night. Um, and it's one of those things that's perfect for like a sexy new upscale lounge restaurant. You kind of want to hear yes. that Afro beats yeah. in the background and it's become like the new, like the new soundtrack for grown and sexy. I, I would, I would say yes, but no. So yeah. me, me and Dave do a reggae event every summer. Uh, this is the fourth year, every summer, we do right. downtown grand mm -hmm. and it's mostly Afro beats, Calypso and reggae for sure. Yeah. And Soka. And you guys should come. We have a Sister Nancy Memorial Day weekend. I didn't even know oh, that you nice. joined it. Yeah. yeah, you guys probably weren't But yeah, Sister Nancy Memorial Day weekend. So um, we just had um, While She Fire. Wow. Wow. And While She Fire played, and to, I think you, no, you said it, uh, he was like, he got off the decks. He was like, I didn't know there were this many black people in Vegas. <laughs> like he was like, I'm coming back. I'm doing this again. So while she, while she fire, I'll be back on the over 14th. But you guys want to see a DJ play Afro beats, like, mm -hmm. like an EDM guy does play house. Mm -hmm. Come yeah. see while she fire. Yeah. And it, but the, right. see, that's the thing. I'm, I'm talking on a very commercial. Right, right. No, no. Yeah. I'm talking very special. Yeah. Yeah. But, I'll do but, but in your, in your scene, in, in the Afro beats, I'm a piano scene. I'm a piano would be almost be seen as EDM. That's the house. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. Like, that's the up tempo. That's you. It's it, very pretty music. If, if anyone's never heard it or it's is curious amazing. about it, it's it, very beautiful. It's music. also like groundbreaking. 
the the uh, the percussion placements on Ama piano. Mm, yes. It's like you've never heard it in any it's kind like of It's like shakers and all this cool stuff going well, on. Well, no, but it's like yeah. these bass and kick. There's like different tones different patterns. of kick yeah. patterns. Mm-hmm. And it's True. like, you know, it's really unpredictable to the point where even if I'm listening to it, I'm studying the music. I, I don't even know when it's going to hit. Yeah. Because I'm like, boom, 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 boom. But there's these different tones. And it's the first time I've heard that kind of percussion being used. And it's like, you know, there's going to be a day when an EDM house, everything comes together with Ama Piano. And it's, it's already kind of happening a little bit. It is. But Ama Piano is the dance music. And like, it's big in Europe. And it's creeping into like, hmm. it's creeping into the States, but it's huge. It's, it is the dance music. And, and again, Ama Piano. the whole Spotify thing I was talking about earlier, yeah. you used to have like a Habib Beats. Hobby Beats, amazing. Yeah, his genre that he's doing. He's like, he's crazy. one of the people yeah. crossing everything. He's and doing, I, I talked you know? to him about a few months ago. Yeah. And I said, dude, you're on the path. Right. I said, it's coming. If you, I said, the same thing happened with Latin. I go, it's happening with Afrobeats right now. And Arabic music. Right? Yeah, and you're next. Right. Yeah. I go, stay right there. You're right there. And that's because of Spotify. Yeah. Because it, it, it gives me everything's go- there. It gives me goosebumps, like, talking about Hobby Beats and, like, yeah. you know, just, just people who, like, lead this new wave of music. That that month that like the commercial audience in America doesn't know about. If you, I'm telling you, while she fire when he plays the not the major laser set when he yeah. plays the set he comes he's coming back October 14th. Mm. You really need to come to see him. Wait, what's the name of this that. party? Where is it? at? It's called uh, Reggae on the Roof. This is the fourth year we've done it. We do a downtown grand. It's a nighttime pool party. It happens. Uh, actually, one's happening August 11th this Friday. Is it like every season or every? Yeah, every every pool season we do it. Oh wow! Mm. And we've been doing it for four years. Uh, we had Walshy Fire. We have Sister Nancy coming. We're working on Wayne Wonder. Wow! We're working really? on a bunch of. It's just again, it's just picking a genre that no one's fucking with in Vegas and going after it. Mm-hmm. I want to go back really quick with you, Shecky, because I want to talk about when you were like in these board meetings or when you were like initially trying to bring like and talking about bringing hip hop DJs to Vegas, you know, kind of at light and Bellagio and all the, all these things that were happening. What was the biggest obstacle that you you saw during this time on from a corporate perspective? Mm. And even, you know, even when I say corporate, I don't even think nightlife at that time was that corporate. It really wasn't. But, you know, from a nightclub perspective, operating in a casino, and I know casino is very corporate. How, what was the biggest obstacle that you saw? I, and, you know, I go ahead. What were you saying? No, that's it. You know, when I think back, I don't, I, this is going to sound like a cliche, but I remember seeing more opportunity than I saw obstacle. Nice. Mm. Like I remember because I, you know, it was maybe um, in a selfish way because I personally knew Stretch, AM, Mark Ronson, and I knew how big they were in New York and LA. I saw the opportunity that if they came to Vegas, we could probably try to capture that energy here. Right. And so maybe because, and this is to be totally frank, because they were white. Right it was less of those roadblocks. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. That's 100% okay? true. Yeah, Probably true. It's 100, never. Because they were white. Tell them. <laughs> never. That's true. Yeah, Listen, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, t- it's probably made it a lot easier to, for everyone to swallow. They yeah. saw, and, and I mentioned this before, we did this flyer series, it was like baseball cards. And one of the cards was AM, Stretch, Ronson, and Eddie. Mm. And it was and like- Flash. And Grandmaster Flash was a card too. Was he really? I think so. He had a card, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He had a small run. There was a series, because it it, it was a represent, it was the big city DJ series, and it was Sundays, it was a bunch of Sundays in a row, and that was the biggest night at light. So it was like, they they put, and again, this was 
created from really just Sean Christie and I t- having planning it, just him and I, because wow. he he was he had the power to to. And again, they were you know these guys were getting paid back then maybe fifteen hundred bucks or something like that. It wasn't like it was. He, the big money had not started yet. Yeah, I think AM got twenty five hundred, and that was like a big. That was maybe the biggest obstacle is getting that approved, mm. getting that budget approved. Because and and I remember afterwards, Sean said, and he was so right. He's like, okay, we spent twenty five hundred, but as soon as this, after this night, there's going to be someone down the block that's going to offer three thousand, and that's like literally exactly what happened with with the Hard Rock, with um, Body English at the Hard Rock, and. Mm. AM had a relationship with a guy named Brent Bolthouse who was, yep. and that's why he went over there, but they offered more money also. But um, the challenge was really, you know, it was more of the, 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 I knew that Vegas was starting to become more like a big city, New York City type environment in Miami, New York, you know, and, and I saw the opportunity to bring these guys in. So that was, that was the pathway. There wasn't really a, there wasn't really like, there, were the, there, were, there weren't any real obstacles we weren't really using the word hip hop, so mm. that was maybe you know yeah. we sidestepped that. They didn't um, look hip hop. They don't mm. look hip hop. Am was uh, he would wear a lot of polo shirts back then. He had the mohawk. Mm-hmm. He had like yeah. the faux hawk. And remember? this is big Am, right? He, no, it wasn't. No. no, he had already. He lost the weight right oh, in no. between those two things I described because I did that V bar party and he was still big Am, and then a few months passed. And he came back as skinny AM mm. for the for the light. That was I remember Big AM came to DJ at Light in two thousand two, and it was funny. I went oh, to Big AM was that? Oh, really? Yes. Okay, so maybe I'm wrong about no, no, no. Two thousand two, and then like in two thousand three, I remember Andrew Sasson had me and Eddie go to LA to check out AM because okay. AM was about to do Body English, and he was like, "Yo, you got to check this DJ out." And we went to see AM, and I kept looking in the booth, and I'm like. That's not AM. <laughs> He's not big. He's That's just skinny. <laughs> just skinny. The A man. is gone. That's just M. But it sounded like him though. It was like I was like, I gotta be a fucking Mitch tape or something. <laughs> That's not AM. That's Clinton Sparks up there. <laughs> so yeah. You know, and this is weird because I know we've been here for a long time and I definitely we all probably have to go soon. But oh, yeah, sorry about that. But it's okay. But I I know just because now as a listener of the show. And like all the fans, when Clinton came on, he said a lot of crazy shit. Yeah. A lot of it has, we have not addressed. We probably don't have time to address all of it. But I would like to put you on the spot a little bit and ask about what he said, the most ridiculous thing he said. Yeah. <laughs> which was, I am hip hop, you are Asian. Yeah. Oof. Which What? Which was yeah. Uh, play him that clip too, Cricket. Never. You I didn't, didn't hear anything. That. I didn't hear that. Did you, you didn't you go that? like, what the fuck am I? I didn't hear that. <laughs> what? And and, and again and again. Listen. And again. Uh, hold up. I am Asian. Hold up. There you go. Yeah, I'll play it for you guys. I am hip hop. You are Asian. I've never heard that one. When you went on E News, oh, some of us were like, oh man, he so turned his back so on hip hop. You started making like EDM songs. We felt like we were abandoned. We started getting into the snap rap era. I'm like, this is weak as fuck. Probably one of the most prevalent sounds that are still relevant. And this is at the time when I signed DJ Snake. I'm listening to music over there like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, this is fucking hard as shit. And I'm the guy that slowed it down to go D-Block I put Big Sean, Rick Ross, G-Unit All these motherfuckers 
on EDM and house music before it even got here. This is what's going to be next that's hot in hip-hop. I don't know if that was hip-hop. Kid Cudi is a rapper. What's the biggest EDM song that you play today still? You're saying Kid Cudi's not hip-hop? Oh, that was a remix. As a club DJ, it was very apparent what was obvious club music with Guetta getting Nicki Minaj on a record or Mm. Usher on a record. Everyone's trying to get a bag. I don't know if that's necessarily to push hip-hop forward. All I know is I am hip-hop. So if I do something, it's hip-hop because I am hip-hop. Just like if you're Asian and you do something, an Asian did it, regardless what it is. You're an Asian at the core of who you are, so an Asian did this. I'm hip-hop to the core. So if I play a f***ing guitar, doesn't mean I'm not hip-hop anymore because I played a guitar because I am hip-hop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What's your thoughts, gentlemen? I'm more disappointed than never didn't throw a mic at him. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what was I it like? To, I try to stay cool, man. What was it like in the room? I mean, to, before we give the thoughts, because I mean, look, man, like, you know, I'm from the school where KRS-One said, I am hip hop. <laughs> that when he, someone says, I am hip hop, I think of KRS-One, a guy that is hip hop. The he teacher. Wa- he walks around and embodies hip hop. Now, and I'm not saying Clinton didn't do some stuff in hip hop. Sure, he did, but... To make that, it's crazy. But what I'm really curious about is when he was saying that crazy shit, what was happening with you guys in the room? Were you guys looking at each other? Were you? Yeah, we were like, we was definitely looking at each other, yeah. I was more so like, yo, you are hanging yourself up and I'm not going <laughs> to stop you. Because yeah. I'm like, you are bold. You came in here and you said some shit already. And by this point, he had said that he had helped. He was just throwing more fuel in the fire. He, he, yeah. he had said, he went out his way and said, yo, I was the reason why uh, World Star Hip Hop happened. Like he went off and said that. Like I gave Q that idea. So he kept just hanging himself. And at this point, when he claimed, um, yo, I brought hip hop to Vegas, I was like, yo, this motherfucker is going to say anything. And he thought we were going to agree with him. So that's why we stopped him in his tracks. But once he said that Asian part, the Asian part, at this point, I was like, yo, you are going on your own rails and (laughs) let you do what you got to do. And obviously, it was, uh, you know, he regretted it. Yes. I, I mean, I don't think, I, I, let me just say this. I don't believe that he is a racist person. Mm-mm. No. I don't, I, I, I know that he's not. He's yeah. been around every ethnicity, just like any of us in the hip hop world. We've all been around literally every ethnicity, okay? We all, no one who's really working in hip hop is racist. Okay? Yeah. No. But the way he framed that makes no sense. What he really should have said was, you are Asian, I am Caucasian. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he should have said. If he's going to say it the right way, at the core of who I am, you know. But what he's so what happened? What 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 do you? How do you interpret that that whole exchange? So like when when I'm doing this podcast, I can't help but look at it from a producer angle. Yeah, you know. So I have to look at it from a producer angle. So I'm saying inside when he said that, I was like, okay, do I react to this? Do I get upset? I wasn't offended. I was. I actually looked at him and I said, "Wow!" Like, I think his ego just came into play. Yeah. Because what I think what was going on in his head was this: Who is this dude? Who is this Asian guy to question what I do in hip hop? After everything I've done in hip hop, I've been in a room with Fifty Cent. I've been in a room with every hip hop legend in the world, and this guy is just an Asian DJ. So I think his ego came into place like you're questioning me and how hip hop I am, even though I did EDM. Anything I do is hip hop because I am hip hop. You're just an Asian guy. And I think that's what came out of his his, ego. You're right. His ego came into play. And I think it came out the wrong way. His way of saying like you're an Asian guy was probably saying like you ain't shit. You're just a regular dude. Yeah. You're just an Asian dude. So like you do Asian shit. 
Mm-hmm. But you when know? you describe like Franzen's grind in in Las Vegas, just his just your Las Vegas chapter, yeah, that is hip hop to me. You just like kept your head down and kept doing it and right. doing it. Yeah. Yet he's not coming in here. Not once did Franzen say, "I am hip hop." No. Right. So so there is a humility that we want to see among each other when people who have been around the music industry for a long time, you don't want to hang around someone that's starting to brag and even say bullshit things that they've done. None of us, all of us could here go up here and brag about other shit that we've done, but no, but we don't want to be around those kind of people. But but it's just, it's just, and so the choice to come in and, and, in a room of Las Vegas DJs and make claims about what happened in Las Vegas. It's like going into like the Chicago Bulls and saying, you know, that you taught them how to play basketball. I don't know. Like, I'm just saying it's like some outlandish shit. But you know what it also told me throughout the whole interview? What it told me is like, oh, he hasn't been around hip hop people in a long time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's right. The reason why you can't say certain shit about hip hop is because someone, if you still hanging around hip hop motherfuckers, they're going to put you in check and they're going to say like, yo, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And when he started going off, I said, oh, he's really hasn't been around these motherfuckers. Like what he and I've told Shecky this, what he reminded me of was a dude that was going into a corporate room and trying to sell hip hop. He was like, yo, like literally like, yo, you don't know, like. I, I gotta impress these motherfuckers oh, in the yeah, corporate right. in the room. I, I need the sponsorship or I need these inve- this investment capital. Yeah. So I'm gonna tell them I did all these things you in You need hip-hop. all the bullet points. Right. Yeah, yeah. So all these so I'm like, yo, like I was the first one to bring hip hop in Vegas. So yeah. the room of corporate motherfuckers and millennials are like, Oh wow, you did? Crazy. <laughs> and we were like, you know? Uh, he, he believed his yeah. own bullshit. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it he just goes to show bullshit. he was doing that for like maybe eight to ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Just selling hip hop after like he went to eat he saw all the big money when he went to like the like the E channel. He started doing EDM. He saw all this big money coming in. And I think he just got caught up in this corporate pitch. Yeah. He was in like corporate pitch mode. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Of like, hey, like, right. hey, you know, World Star? I, that was my idea. Yeah. Like, hey, like this, this, that, 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 that. And it just, when I was listening to him, I'm like, oh shit, like he hasn't been around real motherfuckers because yeah. you can't say that shit. Like, if I went to the block and I started saying all this shit about, you know, I did this, I did that, they would put me in check over a lot of up. shit. Yeah. yeah. So, it's like, he just needed to, and you know what happened is that hip hop did put him in check. It's true. Because when that clip went out, um, everyone in hip hop mm-hmm. that he hasn't he, not spoke, just hip hop, just DJs, and all just, the DJs, yeah, 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 they put him in check, yeah. And he had to what? He had to like apologize to everybody. And I know he sent DMs and messages to every single body and apologized to them. And I actually I give him that. I give him that he he knew what he did was wrong. And you know what? We look we that clip where he said like you know I'm hip hop, you're Asian. I took that clip down. By the way, I did not agree with that. Yeah. We had a vote. Yeah, I thought we should have kept it. Never, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest right now. I said, yo, if that clip is going down, I'm taking the whole fucking episode down. Yeah. Because I'm not giving you the benefit of the doubt how to fucking tell me how to run our platform. Which you asked to come on, and then you mm. fucking backpedal once you know the shit hits you in the face. When all the DJs, when, when Cricket said... We're not offended, but we know motherfuckers who are going to get offended. Yeah. We knew the fucking fire was coming. The thing was, I was offended, but I can't, you know, like, I got to keep the interview You got to be the producer. You, you handled yeah, it really yeah. well. Yeah, you got to handle professional. Props to Crooked well. and all you guys, because you guys handled it well. You didn't overreact, and that's great. You shouldn't. Look what happened, you know, if when, uh, when Letterman was on and Andy uh, Kaufman yep. got slapped. 
And he, Letterman didn't freak out. He just like still did the show. You have to yeah. still do the, the show. The show's going to go on. Sh- and guess what? You're going to burn yourself. You're going to hang yourself. Yep. And that's going to be on your marriage. But that's the thing is that I have to let the listeners react. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's right. like, and, and the thing is like, the, the importance of this show is that some of the listeners who are uninformed and a little like, you know, naive to the, you know, the music industry and the nightlife industry, they were believing what he was saying. Yeah. So that's why it's important that we have this episode to counter that. But for me to counter it at the time, I thought it was even maybe better for him to say what he needed to say mm-hmm. and us to kind of like push back a little bit in a courteous way. Like, I, I just want to show motherfuckers that courtesy. Um, but you was, didn't. But you didn't take it down. It's still online, right? Yeah. Well, no, we did take the clip down because just think, that, just the, just the sampler part, but the whole full episode. That is, one yeah. video clip because we made a video clip of him with that scene that I just played for you, right? That was I'm hip hop, you're Asian. I took it down because I had a 90 minute conversation with that dude, and ultimately what was happening was that we know he's not racist. It was an ignorant fucking comment, <clears throat> yeah. but I think. Everyone was calling, you know, the climate of social media now. Right. He would have been pinned a racist. Not only that, you know, his family, his wife, his kids, you know, his wife dropping off the kids to school. In my head, you know, they, they oh, well, you're married to that racist, you know, your husband's a racist. Or, you know, like, I don't know what's going to happen with the kids. I don't know how big that clip's going to get. Right. And who, who's going to see it. So these guys told me, leave it up, leave it up. And I, you know, in my head, I was like, I'm going to leave it up. That night when I went to sleep, I just kept thinking of like who it was, it was affecting his family. Mm. And I think it was unfair that people could take this content and pin him as a racist. When you knew when, he wasn't. When I knew he wasn't. That's good, dude. That's so good, then dude. I took the clip down in the middle of the night. It was like midnight, right? It was like two in the morning. It was two in the morning because I, I, I couldn't sleep. And I texted these motherfuckers. I said, yo, I took the clip down. They were pissed at me. But I was, like, I was more on like, yo, you you do stupid things. You win stupid prizes. Yeah. yeah. But Cricket was like, yo, you need to do this. I'm like, saying, in my 90-minute conversation with him, the conversation I had, I'm not going to say what he said to me you know, verbatim, but he offended me more in that 90-minute conversation mm-hmm. than he did in an interview. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Because it was, I just saw certain things come out and the way he was talking to me. You wouldn't even believe how many people called me and texted me that had prior experience with him. Oh, a ton. Like 20 years, 15 years Damn. of working with him. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of like, okay, you know, I, I sat down, I, after the conversation, I'm like, wow, this guy's a piece of work. <laughs> and I said, we took this clip down and I told him on the phone, I said, look, I'm gonna put some other clips there. You know what I'm saying? So, but you, I don't want you fucking calling me, telling me to take every fucking clip down because you said what you said. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like, I'm going to take this clip down because I don't think you're racist and I think this is unfair and this is affecting your family. But all this other shit you said, yo, (laughs) you better believe that I'm going to fucking put some clips out. You're going to have to be accountable for whatever the fuck you said. That's good. That's exactly what I did. And I let hip hop react. And that's what happened. There's, There's a... There's a clip that said, you know, I was the first one to to say my name on songs and all of this shit. And who who fucking commented? Pete Rock. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow. It's just like a hip hop. I let yeah. hip hop like react to the shit, which is exactly what I told these dudes. I said, look, we don't need this clip. We have all these other clips and everyone's going to react. And that's that's who should react. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? And that that I mean, that's what is. We've never we've never done this before, too. I've had crazy episodes similar to this where a DJ was in a dark place and maybe they were like talking shit or they were trying to big themselves up and I knew they were just in an insecure place where they were trying to just, you know, let their their, their ego was getting caught up 
and I never put out those episodes yeah. because I cared about those DJs and I cared about their livelihood. And, I, and I've, I've told them, they used to like hate on me like, yo, you're not putting my shit out? Like, yo, that's fucked up. They would even go on Twitter and be like, yo, man. They would talk shit a little, like send some Subliner. subs at us. And the whole time they're like hating on me and shitting on me and thinking I'm trying to fuck with them. I'm literally trying to protect them. Saving them. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, and the, and the whole thing is like, them. some of them, we re-recorded the episodes when I, when I was like, yo, you're in a better place now. Like, let's, let's do the episode. And they fucking thanked, like re recently, one of them thanked me after listening to the Clinton Sparks episode. And they were like, yo, thank you. Like, I realized, you know, I almost sounded like this motherfucker, <laughs> you know? And, but it's like, I'm in a different place now. So like, you know, this is the first time we released something like this that I kind of knew there would be a negative response to the DJ because I don't want to do that to fucking DJs. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And you know, crazy thing is people were asking me, are you offended by this comment? Yeah. To me, I was like, you know, people are going to say what they want to say and what they want to believe. But I knew it was going to bring us together for this conversation. Mm. And that was like one of the most pertinent, important things to me that to get myself, Shecky, Warren, you guys in the room and actually have a conversation because this conversation is very important to the culture of, you know, hip hop in Vegas. You know what I mean? And, so. and you know what's actually a beautiful thing? I'm looking at it now. Like, we're talking about, like, the history of uh, hip-hop in Las Vegas here. And look how diverse this room is. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah you know, it's, yeah. It's, it's actually a really beautiful thing. Like, yeah. you know, when I look oh, at shit. it now. It just hit me. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, like, kind of a beautiful it's, it's thing. It's the Rainbow Coalition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're allies. <laughs> if, if, again, if you want to dive deeper, man, I'll give you Frankie and Rob's number. They did. I'd be, I think that would be great, yeah. It's, it's deeper than me. And also, I wanted to say, you know, when we when we we spoke a few days, you know, right. Actually, the reason we spoke is because I saw that the clip was was pulled off Twitter, and I was curious if if it was because he asked you to. Mm -hmm. And I called Crooked and asked him, and he said yes, it was, and he told me that story. But then I started feeling like it was almost like a therapy session for you, Crooked, and in a good way. I felt that this opportunity. This was the adversity that you were feeling, and it was very genuine, and it made me honestly have even more respect for you as a as what you're, you got for all of you guys for what you're doing here, because you felt the pressure, like you told me, you felt how it might impact his family, but you also felt the pressure of wanting the show to be a quality show and wanting and all the factors involved, and you, and you really kind of expressed that during that conversation, and it made me realize that. That, that's when we kind of, again, full circle, had this idea, like, the way to solve it is not to simply just bash this guy who said these stupid things, but more so, let's spin it positive and say, okay, let's tell the story of what happened, and let's use it as an opportunity to get the right information out there. I didn't know this was going to be a, like a, almost a three-hour episode. Yeah. Yes, you did. No. <laughs> you did know it. Yo, War and Peace, Franzen, Shecky Green. I just gotta say, you know what? Like, I'm so glad we got together. Like, honestly, when do we get together like this? Like, almost never. Never, yeah. never. But uh, y'all, I'm just <laughs> glad we got together and like set the record straight. But also, just talk about the history of the city, and hip hop in the city. And I want to thank you guys, man, for being pivotal figures in this in this industry, in this mm -hmm. in this world, and pushing the culture forward throughout the whole way. You know. Thank you guys, There's and thank you for our pleasure. And thank you for always coming on the podcast, even on our early. Yeah, guests. you guys were yeah. The top that 50. was like the our first um, first guest that 
came on a podcast. Yeah, you guys started. didn't know what you guys were walking into, but yeah. thank you for giving. Yeah, you like humored us. You were like, yeah, we'll, we'll come on. That, and that, that really <laughs> meant a lot to us because yeah. it was like you know, it was like a podcast. It was just like you guys could have easily shit on this, but you guys always showed us. I love. think yeah. Franzen was sick the first time he was eating a soup right before we were. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what year was that? What year? 2018. Top 18. To 18. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because we started in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. And but we, we didn't have guests till 18. Yeah. So going on six years. Six years. Nice. Wow. Almost 300 episodes in. This will wow. be 288. Congratulations. But thank you guys. I appreciate yes. it. Yeah. Right, appreciate Thanks it. for having us, man. Thanks for tuning into the Road Podcast. Don't forget, every Wednesday, we have new episodes on all major streaming platforms. And every Thursday, the video versions go up on our YouTube page. Please subscribe to our channel, youtube.com slash roadpodcast. And to find exclusive clips of the pod, please visit youtube.com slash DJ City. And we'll see you next Wednesday.